take her on the snowman and shiny balls from our Christmas tree. Our old flagpole that said home sweet home now resembles a ding-a-ling. Hung mistletoe where pubic hair would grow and a broader hold those double D's. Who put the pecker on the snowman hanging proud for the neighbors to see? Good evening, one and all. How are we doing? Something a little bit different as we get towards Christmas with the music there. Uh, episode 60, going to do a roundup of the year. Have a look what's been going on. Uh, I'm joined by Coach Angel Garcia of High Power Archery. We were hoped to be joined by Anthony of the Off Centre Archers, but unfortunately, Anthony's more than a little under the weather. Uh, right, what we got for tonight? I've got, hang on, Sally Sosler Cider, and I have a beautiful AJ Fernandez New World Connecticut Gordo, a 6x60 beast of a cigar to smoke. Angel, what have you got, Stogie Wise? Oh, I'm just here with a Nicaroma 6x60 beast, also, it's a Maduro, very fine, very smooth. Very inexpensive. It cost me about $2.50 each. Um, wow. But they're great smokes, so it's cheap considering what we pay for them here in the States. And I've got the drink of all drinks, water. <laughs> ah, I've got a sweet cider. See, these I bought from a place in Switzerland. Cost me £4.40 per stick plus 25 quid shipping. Uh, to buy them in the UK, I think the 6 by 60 is about 22 quid a stick. Which is about what twenty eight dollars? Oh yeah, right. I've even got myself a nice V cutter to go here. <laughs> Make sure it's level. I'm new to V cutting, so it's only the third or fourth time I've used it. Just I don't even use cutters anymore. Either I punch it or I, I just wet it and go ahead and dig out a little hole in the back myself. You know, I learned yeah. that from somebody over here, and it works just fine for me. <laughs> I don't know if you can see. Yeah. That. This looks vaguely, gives a, It looks vaguely inappropriate, but yes. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? It gives a beautiful V-cut. And my first proper cigars I tried last year were Romeo and Giulietta, uh, Petit Coronas. I soft-lit those. I bought myself a triple-flame <laughs> gaslighter. <laughs> And it's I, I, ideally, I could do with turning this down. I mean, I paid twenty two quid for my cutter. My lighter was eight quid off Amazon, and <laughs> it comes with with a cigar punch, punch on yeah. the bottom. Doesn't feel particularly sharp. I mean, if I rub it round my finger, it, ba- it barely marks my finger. So yeah. I'm sticking with the V cut. This is the first stogie I've had since I had a bad cold I say I, I tried one and these have got a lovely lovely flavour to them really mild creamy into walnuts uh, and when I got the cold my throat was really raw and I made the <laughs> mistake of trying one and all I got was burning black pepper <laughs> it's not yeah, the nicest I, way to do it I find the you know, when I have a cold or something like that, if I smoke one of these, the cold is gone the next day. It seems it burns out anything there is to burn out. So it kind of works. Well, I, 
before I had the cold, I managed to do one of these in one sitting and timing it two hours, ten minutes. That's really toasted. It depends on the smoke. Some of you can blow through them right away, and some of them you can't. Nice cherry. There we go. And that virgin puff, of course, <laughs> over here, that has a totally different meaning. <laughs> My goodness. Yeah, that's that's not that these have a little hint of black pepper in them but when I tried one with the cold it was just overpowering it's like somebody yeah. pepper sprayed my mouth that is <laughs> that's nice <laughs> you know what me smoking a cigar doesn't make for good audio does it so <laughs> what's, what's been going on in the life of Coach Angel well I don't know. I've been trying to put up YouTube videos on a weekly basis, and I was going good for a couple of weeks, and then I had to stop because I had between work and and not feeling so great the last couple couple of weeks. It's like I, you know, yeah. I didn't have have time to do them. Um, I got to make up for it and do like three videos when I get home tonight and get those online and all that. Uh, we get some people coming over and check them out, but I, like I tell everybody else, I made that channel so that my students can see this stuff because they're the ones that I'm really concerned with yeah. and anybody else who's trying to learn. And I try to make them in a way that's very, very simple to understand. Uh, they're not great production. I do this on my own. Most of them are off my off my cell phone. I got Arrow videos and all that that I've already made that I've got to find a way to cut together, and I'm just learning how to splice in like a, a an interior video inside of it and making it look so I can show people what I'm talking about. But it's um, it's not as easy as you might think. And I've got like four podcasts that have been loaded sitting there and I just have to edit them and life happens and then you don't have any time to do it. So I'm trying to get to that this weekend. If I can, depends on how I feel tonight when I get home and uh, we'll, we'll see what goes on, but I should have some more stuff up there tonight. So far, the response has been well received from a lot of people. So uh, if it helps even one person, it's worth doing it all. And I've just started having a play with YouTube videos. Uh, the one I put up from the for Dots, the Mark 3D Championship, recorded it yeah. all on iPhone and edited mm -hmm. it all on my phone using CapCut, which yeah. is absolutely brilliant. I was having trouble with the podcast I did with David G, episode 59. Mm -hmm. had problems with that in separating the audio, trimming the audio, of course, I was recording it on the camo app using mm -hmm. my iPhone as a webcam. Tonight, I'm back to the ordinary webcam because I was playing the intro music off my phone and I couldn't do that at the same time as using it as a webcam. <laughs> uh, I'm back on using the ordinary webcam. But with that, using camo, there was, I suppose it would be a three or four frame delay between the audio and the video, and that really bugs me. It's like watching a 1990s oh, yeah. Chinese martial arts <laughs> movie. <laughs> Do you remember in the first yeah, I remember Police Academy those. film where he did, he did like mouth 17 words and then, oh, yeah. hello. <laughs> it was looking something like that, just a few frames out. So I ended up using DaVinci Resolve, but it's a really, really steep learning curve. 
when you're looking to edit videos, isn't it? Yeah, like I have one that's built for Vin- for Windows, and I have another one for Mac. But just trying to learn one or the other, you can't really learn both because they both are so different. Um, and I have one of my girls who helps me edit the videos and put some videos together. Actually, the f- first couple of videos, she edited it for me, and she just put them in there. And I was able to get them up relatively quick. But she has school and stuff like that, so she can't be doing that all the time. But uh, we're making our way into it, and I'm trying to – you know, reserve time to do it more often. It's just hard. I mean, you try to commit to a schedule, but you know, it is what it is. And I'm, I'm not the type of person who's looking for hundreds of thousands of views. I really don't care. Yeah. Um, I just want it so that it's there and then they can always refer to it. But, uh, yeah, I haven't put out a podcast, uploaded a podcast since I think June. Yeah. It was July is the last time I did it. Yeah. And I got people saying, where's the other podcast? Where are the other podcasts? And I'm like, I've done five. I haven't uploaded a single one because life has happened. But I'll try to get them all up there. And it's like I got so many different things. And then just when I think I'm going to get time to do one, I'm like, oh, I got to go do this. You know, you know, I'm trying to do everything at once. And I'm I'm just one person, so it's a little hard. But the girls are getting more into trying to help me with it. So at least that's getting good. But they've all got tournaments that they're preparing for. And every you know last available minute, I'm working on their bows and they're practicing and stuff like that. So, in the end of everything, you kind of run out of time. You're like, oh, I didn't get to do it again today. I'll try tomorrow. And it's just hard to keep up with. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I can ask when's the next episode coming out. You haven't put one out in a while. I always said I wouldn't guarantee a schedule because I'll record when I've got something to say, and half the time I've got nothing to say, and. <laughs> It's a hobby for me. It's a way of me recording a journey I'm on. Yeah. You to have sharing this incredible wealth of knowledge you've got with people to help them learn. Mm-hmm. And I, I sometimes think people forget that. I, you know, I would like to be able to put... I've, I've had a couple of major, major life changes, absolutely yeah. huge, and I'll cover those in the next episode. But I'm uh-huh. back to feeling being more of myself now. Yeah, uh, A few things happened that were... It had, really just driven me down I'll, I say I'll, I'll 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 cover that in an, in another episode the changes now I've got a little more time on my hands mm-hmm. so I'm going to look at getting back into it like I say I'm back to feeling more of me again I'll get that self-discipline back and start chasing dreams again but, well yeah and that's what you got to do just get back on the horse and keep going yeah of course, you, you've just... Have you still got late-season hunting going on at the moment, or is archery season Over finished here, now? It, it goes on until February. Wow. So there's still a lot of time for me to get out there and do something. All my girls have taken um, really, really big, big deer. Uh, I haven't been able to get into the woods once. Uh, so I'll... I'll see if I get something done by, you know, by the end of the year. I don't know. It's not a major priority on my list, but like for my dad, he wants deer and all that. So like, then I have to drag myself out. It's just the longer I wait, the colder it's going to get. Fortunately, the weather hasn't been too bad around here lately. Um, it still seems like early fall for us. So we're in the fifties, most of the days and forties, which by now in a normal winter, you'd be in like the twenties and the tens. I was going to say, like you'd normally be under a couple of feet of snow by now, wouldn't you? We haven't, we haven't had a single snowfall all year. Wow. We had one the other day, and the UK is ridiculous. You get three snowflakes forming. The, the doom mongers in the press are screaming, oh, my God, we've got six months of ice age coming. And as soon as you get more than two snowflakes stick to the floor, 
the country grinds to a halt. <laughs> a lot of local authorities got rid of all their snow ploughs. So yeah. all they can do is grit, and you know yourself. Four, three or four inches of snow is too much for the grit to deal with. You've got to get out and plough. The exactly. train stopped because it's the wrong kind of snow. <laughs> the tram stopped because it's the wrong kind of snow. <laughs> and people in this country just cannot drive in the snow. If they start to get stuck, they don't realise, go up a, d- a gear and be gentle on the throttle and just roll it. The first thing they do is down into first, slam the throttle to the floor and just spin the wheel so it polishes everything to sheet ice. Yeah, I kind of avoid the roads myself when there's snow out there. But we didn't get a major snow all year last year either. Wow. So my snowblower has been in the garage just sitting there and like, I hope it starts if we actually get something, but I haven't had to use it once in the last two years. So I'm like, okay, that's a good thing. And when I say it's a good thing, then all of a sudden we'll get 10 feet of snow and then we'll get buried <laughs> under it. But uh, we haven't got that. And normally we have at least one or two storms that are two and three feet. But for the last two years, we haven't seen any of that. So that's good. Um, but like I said, I probably just jinx myself and I'll have a foot of snow tomorrow. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I saw a video online the other day. I don't know if it was a current one or one from last year. Utah had a record-breaking snowfall storm and he put down like 20 feet of snow in places. That was scary. Yeah, that's, that's about average for those areas out there. Like upstate New York where... It, where we have our family property that my dad hunts on. I rarely go there or whatever. It's just too far. It's six and a half hours of driving upstate New York. Um, up there, normal snowfall for us starting in the end of October, probably six, seven feet every couple of weeks. And in a real bad storm, you might get eight or nine. It's hard to say, but we haven't had any real major snow up there either. So uh, it's the, calmed down. In the Highlands of Scotland, normally every year, the press jump on snow in October or snow in November. The ice age is coming, <laughs> and when when you look, they've they've forecast snow for the Highlands of Scotland. Yeah, now these have got ski resorts up there. If they haven't got snow by November, they, they've lost a month of season. They're distraught. Oh, yeah, and the press insist on pushing this. Oh no, cl- you know, climate change. It used to be global warming, haven't they? Before everybody realised, no, it's getting fucking colder. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's climate change. It's a bunch of other stuff. Whatever you want to believe from the from what you hear in the media and the crazies and all there. But the same way, it's like in the archery industry. There's climate change in the ar- archery industry too, with everything that's going on. People doing stupid things. Companies losing their minds and saying, "We just want to do this now." I mean, really? Yeah, so I want, it comes I want and goes to get with everything. This. Yeah, I want to uh, get onto this. There's a lot to cover with that. <laughs> yeah, I think the biggest shock for a lot of people was Bowtech ending their contracts with Tim Killing, Tim Gillingham, and Kyle Douglas, yeah. and apparently putting. They said they're going to look more at amateurs, and apparently now they're going to put contingencies into the amateur classes of competitions. Well, they've had that for a while, so they may be stepping that up, but. Their official team, if you want to call it. Yeah. Botech was never really one of these companies that had a pro shooter team. They just had some pros. I mean, years ago, they didn't really have a pro shooter team. They had guys who were selected from around the country, whatever, and you were on team Botech. And then after a couple of years, they started bringing some pros in and stuff like that. But just about 10 years ago, if you look back at them, they didn't have any pros on their team. And, but if you ever listen to a, 
uh, Greg Poole says, the pro staff stuff, and I can tell you from a fact, I've seen it all happen. It always comes in waves. It goes up where everybody, uh, all of a sudden the company is hiring everybody they can get to shoot for them. And then before you know it, it levels out and then downhill again. They'll just dump. They'll purge everybody and everybody goes scrambling looking for who they're going to shoot for next. So with that sort of thing, myself as a pro and all that, I was never into sponsorships and crap like that. Um, these guys go running. I mean, this is what they do for a living. In the case of Tim Gillingham, that doesn't really affect him that much because he's got Hamsky. You know what I mean? he That's his primary job. Hamsky, gold tip, all that stuff. Those are his jobs. Yeah. Now, he he's sponsored by Botech and he loves their technology and I think they brought him on board because he just happens to like the equipment that they have and stuff like that. So some people do it because they happen to like the stuff that's being put out by the company they're shooting for. So that was a no-brainer for them to go get this guy because he his his big thing is always having dual yokes. If you can have a bow with dual yokes, you got Tim Gillingham there and he'll love it. Yeah. I think what whatever company he's going to now, which if it's Matthews and he's going to shoot for Matthews, they don't have any bows with yokes. So that may affect the way he's going to do it. And when he tried to strap on the 42 antenna looking stabilizers on there and stuff <laughs> like that, I don't know how that's going to work out with him. Because if you ever seen some of their bows, they're pretty much straight up and down. And I don't know how well they're going to play with all those stabilizers on there. But um, everyone goes from one place to another. I was shocked when they released Kyle Douglas because there's a guy who has won everything you could ever think of. And you're getting rid of him to make room in the amateur ranks or something like that. It doesn't sound right to me. It just doesn't. Um, I don't, they put out really good products before and they need people to shoot them and all that. But I think maybe they're starting to figure out our real, you know, crushing goals should be pushing the bow hunting because they sell probably 80 hunting bows for every target bow they sell. I don't know what the real ratio is, but I would imagine just from what I see, People aren't going out and spending two thousand dollars on a target bow, but they will spend twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars on a hunting bow. Yeah. So, who who are you going to target more? Do you think hunters actually care what target shooters are shart- shooting? They don't. They don't even know about it because they don't watch that sort of thing on yeah. YouTube. But if they have a hunting show and the guy's using a bow tech and they see him take some gigantic animal, they're like, "Oh, that's what I want to get." So that's what what they're probably doing. Hoyt has always been good with that, but Hoyt was never, Hoyt kind of made it real clear. Like we don't much care for the fanfare of everything. Our hunting bows are number one, and then we'll go to the target stuff and all that. So that's what they've always done. And with their new management, Hoyt's doing a hell of a lot better. But um, yeah, I don't know where Botech's going to go with this. It's hard to say where they're going to take it or, you know, how they're going to react to it. Um, All the other companies have been doing their best in promoting all the new stuff they got. I mean, Elite's coming out with something new every other day. Um, they made a big impact with their their target bows from last year and the year before, and now they came out with new stuff. They came out with their first carbon bow. You don't hear too much about that carbon anymore, but their carbon bow is still mildly priced compared to everybody else's. So they're still in the game. You don't hear much about their pro staff either, but they have Darren Christenberry and all those guys on there. But again, they are more hunter focused. They know where their money is coming from. So wherever these guys wind up, I think they're going to wind up shooting something that's similar to the target stuff that 
you would say just as a crossover for him because if you can get into shooting that sort of thing then a hunter would be like he's shooting a target bow that's really a hunting bow and he's winning with this i can do something with it but it's hard to say yeah i mean when, when i first got back into archery back end of 2014 start of 2015 uh one of the first channels i, d- I discovered was the hushing channel yeah and they were heavily sponsored by hoyt obviously cam haynes i came across again hoyt whitetail fit hoyt yep then you look at matthews uh they took chris b on yeah and the like of dan Statton from elk shape all producing really good content that's watched by a lot of people pse was with the drury brothers haven't seen they much left. from them lately yeah they left PSC. they went to matthews and I think there's a guy named Jeff Cordero out of North Carolina uh, producing some really good videos. He does a mix mm-hmm. of, he does fitness, he does 3D archery, bit of target archery, a lot of hunting. And yeah. I think he, he, he was shooting Elite last year. And Elite have actually sent him a new bow this year. So they're, they're obviously valuing yeah. what the hunters are doing out there. Well, they're also looking at the YouTube numbers and the social media numbers. Now, social media is the biggest evil ever to hit the world for years because you get very little good information and a lot of hype stuff on there. Yeah, Some of it's just plain bad. YouTube is what they've been focusing on. Um, They look at the numbers. So when Hoyt brought on Chris B, he's somebody who has a good face for for the younger crowd. Let's just put it like that. But he also appears to, appeals to some of the older crowd because they like what he's doing. He's not doing anything sensational or whatever. He's like, hey, check out the new stuff. Let me show you how it works, this and that. So they look to – they finally figured it out and said, we've got to you know, start looking at the younger people because the older generations were the only ones who were shooting. And then the younger kids were like, I don't care about that. Yeah. But if somebody their age is now doing it, and their age could be in the 20s, could be earlier than that, then it sticks. And I think you'll find that there's a lot of people, young people trying to do the social media thing, YouTube, for hunting videos and all that. But Chris B isn't really about hunting. If you if you watch his videos, very few are actually about hunting. It's about the equipment, how yeah. good the equipment is, and making a hunting bow appeal to somebody just like they try to make a target bow appeal to them. And he's satisfying both both markets, and he gets a lot of views because of it. Oh, yeah. When Dan Staten and those guys with Elk Shape is the same way. When I first came across Chris B, he would like say he was shooting for Hoyt. He was doing more target stuff then. Yeah. Then when he really blew up, Matthews picked him up. And you'll see, he'll, he'll do a couple of the big tournaments he'll go to. And he does he goes seem, to every major, yeah. does seem really good with the kids as well. He's always yeah. got time for the kids and to stop and talk to people and then you start to see more and more of his hunts come now yeah i presume that's been officially employed by matthews now he'll be part of oh god i can't think what they call it their evaluation process i give them the bows tell them to go out hunt and once the once the bows are launched those videos drop don't they and what they try to do is that especially with the guys who hunt they'll be using their hunting bows months before that bow's ever released yeah but they won't allow it to be shown and then so if they'll show them with a hunting video whatever like they'll obscure that any pictures that go on social media from like he got this gigantic bow but then after the bow's released and he comes out with the hunting videos 
then you'll see what he's actually using. Like, well, I've been using it for the last four months, whatever is like the beta tester for it. Yeah. And then it goes to saying a lot. It's not, you're going to, most people sounds crazy. will not buy a bow based on this guy says it's going to be great for hunting unless they actually see that it was great for hunting at one yeah. point or another. So their advanced teams are going on to do that. John Dudley's done that for years. Um, the thing with Chris B, you know, he's very, very, hooked up with UltraView and everything that they yeah. do. So yeah. UltraView is a new generation mind of how they do things. They're not doing it old school. They're not afraid to create new stuff and get it out there. And they're a relatively small company that does a ton of business because people like what they do. Yes. So one of the things that Chris B does that they allow him to do that I could tell you Hoyt would never let him do is, okay, he'll actually come out and say, the Matthews flat back grip is trash. Take it out and put on his B-real grip yeah. on there which he prints, whatever, UltraView does it, whatever. So for the first time, a manufacturer is saying, if you don't like the stuff that we put on the bow, it's okay. You can replace it with this. Hoyt has never done that and will never do that. Very few companies allow that because then it makes the company look like, oh, well, our stuff is not, you know, not standard enough for you. So you're going to wind up changing all these parts. We don't want to actually broadcast that or say that it's okay to do that, let alone so- someone who is sponsored by us saying that. Yeah. But Chris B was one of the first ones to say, this handle sucks. Most guys who shot Matthews know that that handle sucked. <laughs> and like, here's the grip customizable for it. We're cool. They've always been guys aftermarket making stuff for Hoyt and all that. Yeah. But Hoyt would never allow it to be in one of their videos. This guy, Matthews, is is doing Matthews videos and stuff like that. And here's my be real grip. It's all cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I, I'm doing ultra view scopes. Axel's the same way. Axel's now gone into the thing. It used to be you shot an axle, axle sight, you shot a, an axle scope. If you want to shoot something else, cool, do it at the tournaments, but we're not really going to talk about it in one of our videos. Yeah. Now they're making sights that are adaptable to the UltraView scopes. Like, oh, by the way, you can fit this on there. It's not proprietary. You can go ahead and stick this this thing in there. And UltraView is adapting to that. So now people, that's the smart way to do it. Because if you restrict people and what they can do and what they can buy, they're going to hate you. But now they're all, all the manufacturers are opening their minds to saying, or at least a few of them are, oh, cool. You want the UltraView scope? Yeah. You don't have need to one use the one that we make for it. Use that. And that's what you're seeing. I go to a to a national tournament. There's a ton of guys using UltraView scopes now. Oh yeah, you go to three D scope, three D shoots. Same way, shooting UltraView scopes. I mean, I've got this one right here. One of my girl sites. What's on it? UltraView scope. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm working on that and and doing all kinds of other stuff for them. Where normally I would just order a whole axle setup. It's an axle site, yeah, but it's running an UltraView scope. Why? Because that's what they want. And all the kids now. Because kids are getting more into the media part of it. They're like, oh, I want this because this looks cool and that's what I want to deal with. Coaches from years ago, I can tell you right now, I wasn't, I was never of that mindset, but I've always been, you can shoot whatever you want. As long as we can make it work for you, I could care less. But I know other coaches are like, no, you're shooting this, you're putting this scope on, you're doing this because I say so. And the kids aren't having that anymore. Yeah. So now you're getting a whole new generation like, I get to put what I want on there. This is cool. So that's what they do. And UltraView has gotten a hold of that, and they're the number one for that right now because they can never keep this stuff in stock. That's the only gripe I have about them. And this scope, when it came out, I have one problem with it, the color. 
Okay, I don't like the color. It's gray stuff. They came out with a limited edition black one of these. Yeah, it sold out in seconds. I'm let telling me, you. Let me guess. The limited edition black was extra. Oh uh, yeah, it was a little bit more money, but it was black. <laughs> so I got kids right now who would stay online for hours if they ever said they were coming out with another one until they said on the website, boom, hit that thing for buy right away because they wanted black. But this is the standard color everybody knows is an ultra view scope. Yeah. And they just want to put a premium on black. And I think it actually costed more to manufacture it in black. But um, they made it so it's double flexible for people. So you see this scope here. This one is set up for for USA archery or world archery, as you call it. Because there's the no light on it. Yeah. And they made an end cap in here. So it doesn't look ugly when you take off the, the light and all that. But it comes standard with the light that you can put on there. Yeah. So the light is for 3D and for NFAA and all that. And the, that's perfect why would i need to buy another scope that has a light on it or wrap some craziness around it this just makes it easier but still the older pros and i'm talking about guys who are in their 30s whatever you still see them running tons of fiber around and sticking the light kits on the side and all that i left that years ago i've been using one of these for the last four years and for me the best thing was I don't have to sit there for hours winding my fiber and trying to wind my battery pack over here on the side and hoping it doesn't work. So I carry an extra an extra sight light in there. And if I'm at a shoot or one of my kids is at a shoot and the battery dies, it literally takes two seconds to change a battery. But what I can do at the same time is I can just undo the screw, pull it out, put another light in there, screw it on. Good. Keep going. Time to change it. 30 seconds. It is what it is, and I've run into that more than once already. Right. So they've hit they've hit the market, and they know what they're doing. David G that I had on the last episode, he's I think he's on his third site light now for those uh-huh. that they've had to replace under warranty because they're not waterproof. Well, nothing that's electronic is waterproof. They are water-resistant. Well, yeah, he's had <laughs> two no. blow yeah. shooting in the rain. But he said he, he can't falter. Their customer service has been absolutely amazing. They've just said, yep, we'll send you a new one out. There you go, new light for you. And that's where we've gone to in this new, I'd say in the last couple of years, but especially this year, customer service has been everything. And that goes from when you go to a bow shop to when you're dealing with one of these companies. You could have the best product in the world. If your customer service sucks, when it comes to somebody getting a part changed or something failing, got to get it warranted. If your customer service is horrible, nobody wants anything to do with you. Yeah. So with UltraView, their customer service is great. I've never had a problem with this stuff. Same thing with me. I had a problem with one of their sites. It wasn't the light, but the the levels kept on coming out. And it seemed that when it was machined, there was something wrong with it. They replaced the whole site for me, the whole, um, the whole scope for me. I had another one in like three days. So they're really, really good with that. This is you why know? I love buying from American companies. <laughs> the customer service is absolutely superb. Slightly off topic. Look at this. Look at the ash on that bugger. So dense. Burns so even. These AJ Fernandez are lovely. But out there in the UK, you don't have many manufacturers. Who's the manufacturer out there? Merlin? Merlin's the big one out there that, that makes all the stuff for what? Yeah, for bows. And I saw... I've heard weird things about them that when you call them, you get an answering machine or something like that that doesn't actually get a live person or something. Somebody has to call you back. That that was... Right. There's, there was weird. a post on... I can't whether it was the Archery UK Facebook page or the NFAST. I think it might have been the Archery UK Facebook page. Somebody said... 
Melvin Bolts keep backing out uh-huh. any ideas. And the guy that owns the company actually jumped on and said, yeah, there's a fix for this. It's a little grub screw with a nylon washer on the end that presses against the limb bolt. Yeah. He said, here's the link, go and buy them. And I'm like, the fuck? You know you've got a problem with your bow and you're telling people to go and buy the fix themselves. Well, you, that's you know what that... donkey dick. That, that's... I hate to say it, that's a problem that a lot of companies have where they don't think that a little thing like that would bother somebody, but it does. Um, so, like, with Elite, Elite's very good um, with their bows as far as tech support, customer service, you name it. But what I do is when most of my girls, I think... 85% of my girls are all shooting elites now. Yeah. Okay. Um, so they came out with the smooth, smooth, uh, smooth cam on there. There's a smooth cam module for it. Oh yes. And they would, they would say that it all rattles and stuff like that. Yeah. So people are complaining about it and for what they did, they, they were trying to change as much stuff out as, as possible, but I never had it happen to one of my kids. So I'm like, how can they be having this kind of problem? But I don't see it on a single one. And I've come down to it being not so much on the company's end, but on the user's end. How much is the user willing to tolerate? And some users, I hate to say this, are prima donnas. They hear a little rattle and it bothers the shit out of them. Um, This bow that I'm working on right now belongs to, to Ivana, my, one of my state champions that I got to work for me. So here's the module on yeah. here okay and this one started rattling so I'm like hmm it never happened before I never noticed it rattling and then someone said oh these models rattle and I shit you not the next day she was hearing a rattle I think it was because she never paid attention to it, attention to it before and someone said something about it so she now notices it. she picks it up she's like listening for it 85% of the people wouldn't know and wouldn't care yeah but it's one of those things where metal can only be machined so much that you can get them to meet the same way. And there's going to be little inconsistencies, particularly with skinny modules. Yeah. So I looked at the module. I'm like, all right, I can fix this. And it's just on the end piece that they use to adjust the, um, the lead off and stuff like that. A lot like the PSEs had the little piece that comes off, so you, like a little yeah. moon piece that, so you can adjust the lead off on those. And I'm like, I'm hitting the bottom cam. And I hear the rattle. I hit the top cam. I don't. I don't hear the rattle. I'm looking at it. And I'm like, yeah. I actually talked to the to the dealer where we got it from because I don't sell any bows anymore. Talked to the dealer that we got it from, and she's like, yeah. A lot of people been complaining about that. Whatever. You know, we don't know what can be done for it. So I said, okay, cool. Let me just fix it. I fixed it in about. How long did it take me? I think I was. Two and a half minutes, and of that two and a half minutes, because my eyesight is shot, and I can't see the little screws to screw it back in, but I would tighten it down. I still feel a little movement, so all I did was unscrew it, put a dab of wax in there, tighten it down again. Sound gone. No more. No more rattle. We used to do that with PSEs. The modules would come loose, whatever. Stinger wax. Mine used yeah. to do it. You'd hear a buzz as you shot. Yeah. So you yeah. take a little little piece of little wax. Put it on there in between the module and, and the cam itself. Screw it down again. 
sound gone. Same thing for this. So this took me all make two minutes. Sound like a prima donna, but a module screw is a bit different from a limb bolt backing out. Uh it is. Um, however, to be honest with that, depending on the manufacturer, what they're making their bolts out of can be anywhere from okay to trash. Yeah. And uh, what's his face? I forget the guy's name. He used to be on the U.S. Olympic team. Now he's got his own channel and he's, you know, teaching people about recurves and stuff like that. Jack he came out with his, yeah, he came out with his own limb bolts for replacing the factory stock bolts. Yeah. No matter what manufacturer he got, he has those. I have gotten my hands on a pair of his limb bolts because I had a couple of recurve shooters. They are night and day in difference compared to the manufacturer stuff. So for years, when I shot PSC and stuff like that, I would just, as soon as I got a new bow, I take the, one of the screws out from each type, from a module, from whatever, and I march right down to the Home Depot, and I'd find a stainless steel replacement for it. And I never had to worry about them stripping out. Yeah. So titanium those things have always happened like that. Titanium archery products actually do a titanium aftermarket sets, don't they? They can swap out every screw and bolt on your bow exactly titanium set and that is something that you need to have because at the worst time when you're trying to adjust a module in the case of module screws because they're tiny most people screw them up by using tools that are worn out and rounded out and guess what soft metal will round out when you go in there with a rounded out you know tool yeah so they break off but once you replace with titanium or stainless steel where it's hardened you still got to do your job of going ahead and getting getting the right tool that, you know, recognizing when the tool is worn out and chucking it and getting another one. And as long as you do that, never have a problem. Yeah. So, like, titanium archery makes whole entire screw sets. But the same thing with limb bolts. If you've got a set of limb bolts that is suspect, I know people now that as soon as they get new, new, uh, new recurves, they go to Jake Kaminsky's website, order the one that's for their bow, and... F- throw out the originals and put on the new ones it gives them peace of mind there may have been nothing wrong with theirs but because it's aftermarket and made to a tighter standard they love it and that's the way the industry is going i just wish that some of the manufacturers will come out and say hey all the all the bolts on on our uh on our new boat is all titanium psc did it with their um with their carbon bow they did it like two years ago i don't know if they're still doing it but it costs them what ten bucks more to, on top of the the cost for a bow to do that. Yeah, that could be a lot depending on how you're looking at it. But would you rather have a satisfied customer who never says anything about it and never complains, or do you want something that someone's going to say, "Well, everything on this bow is trash and I have to replace it because now it's making noise and all that." Yeah, go the extra mile. They, these guys should be doing that, but they don't. It's all about economics, unfortunately. And you you could understand it on a low end or mid range bow. But mm-hmm. on a flagship bow, honestly, with what they're charging now for flagship bows, I expect them to be built to last. Uh, well, the prices have gone up. So a flagship bow five years ago was about $1,000 US. Yeah. Now, it's damn near 1400 And if you look at some of the Matthews that just came out... It's oh, in the seventeens and eighteens. Yeah. Was it two thousand and ninety nine dollars for the title? Yeah. That's scary money. Yes, it is. That's more, you know, that's white carbon levels. 
and you watch Stephen Hand's videos, and the first thing he's going to say is, I don't understand why this bow is priced like this. What changed? He's like, nothing. <laughs> well, in, the, <laughs> in the UK, that bow is £1,400, including VAT. That's VAT at 20%. If you bought one from the States, you wouldn't pay VAT. So take 20% off 1400 mm-hmm. at 280 quid. 1120 US dollars. Yeah. No, you convert for the dollars, 1.25, add a quarter onto that, mm-hmm. 1200 quid. Say 1300 quid. Now it's going to be slightly more in there. Because you'd take off the 20%, then add on the dollars. Yeah. So you'd, you'd be looking about $1,400 and $150 shipping. That's $1,550. That's $450 cheaper than you can buy in the U.S. That's well, insane. Stephen handed that whole video. He's like, it's cheaper to buy one here than it is to buy one in the States. Even with the shipping charges, you're still going to save $300. That's and absolute madness. It makes no sense. And if enough people were to see that video, I think you'd have an uprising on your hands with people like, why are they privileged? Do they get to get the bow so much cheaper over there than we can get it over here and it's made here? You know, yeah, that's the problem. And I mean, the initial shipping to him in Australia is ridiculous amounts, isn't it? Yep. He has to get it in containers shipped over there. Um, he had another video where he was getting something from Biter and he had to get enough of an order from Biter, and the box was only like this big. Yeah. And it cost him like $5,000 to get that box from Biter. And most of that was adding 20% onto the cost of everything because of shipping. Yeah. Um, that's where it's crazy. I mean, you saw what happened when I tried to ship you a couple of cigars. They're trying to charge me $80 to ship it to the oh, UK. God, yeah. That's ridiculous. So, so I've got, I talked got to a- somebody, they said that was like pre holiday stuff. Wait until after the holidays, you can ship it and it'll go back down to like 30 or 40. I don't know if it will, but I'm waiting to see if it goes down because that's ridiculous. That's insane. I've got to say, I've noticed with t shirts while back, Brian Call over at Gritty Bowman when he was working with Aaron Snyder, they did these t shirts where there's carbon in the air, there's hope. $25 for the t shirt. Yeah. $30 to ship a t shirt over here. <laughs> See, I'm now going to give a shout out to Bow Disciples. They're my worthy shout out for this podcast. <laughs> I've got my Pump Station t shirt on. They had a Black Friday sale reduced from $29 to $9 and 12 quid shipping. Yep. You got to wonder what merchandise costs to be made now. So I oh, buy. Yeah. I, I buy all my stuff that's logoed for for our shooting team and stuff like that from a website. If I go to like Atomic Archers or something like that, and I'm sorry, Atomic Archers, if you're hearing this, but people know this, with your custom logo on it, the cheapest one from them for for a shooter's jersey is about eighty or a hundred dollars. Wow. And then they charge you, of course, to set up the printing and all that. So then I found this company. I'm not gonna put their name out over here and all that. Um Anyone who wants to know about them, just message me and I'll tell you. But for them, it's a $30 setup fee. They take your logo. They make, they do the whole design. They show you the shirt, any revision you want to do. And then they apply that $30 to your first order, so you really don't pay for it. And shooter shirts are like 40 bucks. Yeah. $40 well, US. My kids can afford to get that sort of thing. 
Jeremy you know Archer I mean? is shacked a load that he was charging $35 for. He charged what they charged him. He took an order, $35. But I mean, you know, a lot of like the t shirts. Excuse me. That side of his guessing. I've just realised I'm sitting on a pleather <laughs> chair with a seat cover, so every time I move, it sounds like I'm farting. <laughs> Guild, uh, Fruits of the Loom. Massive yeah. company for t shirts. They've got a place over here about 30 miles from me. Uh-huh. You can order a plain T-shirt direct from them, one of their heavy, heavy T-shirts, yeah. for pound fifty. That's cheap. You can go into a vinyl printing place and they'll yep. put the vinyls on for a five or a T-shirt. So if you, so if that you order was, 10, yeah. they'll include setup. So mm-hmm. there you go. That's what, pound pound fifty a T-shirt. Yeah, and that was a big thing with me with this company that I found because the burden is usually on the you know the team, or should I say like in my case because because I have high power archery, we would have to buy all you know make all the shirts, have inventory on buy them like you know grosses at a time, so I buy like thirty shirts at a time, yeah, and then the kids would pay that, and that and that's because we want the, the shirts to be not screen printed, they're sublimated, so that's like the more expensive way to yeah. do it, um. I can't afford to put $1,500 into an order of shirts and just hope I, you know, I, I have enough kids to do that. Yeah. So something like minimum 30 shirts are run, minimum 20 shirts are run. It's insane. This company, I do the one, they don't care if they only sell one. People go directly to their website and order it over there. Yeah. And then they ship directly to them. I don't have to put any money out, which works for me. Similar to and they do it fast. Teespring's another company that kind of, kind of does the same thing, but I think they have a minimum or something like that on there. But um, yeah, and they're quite expensive. Yeah, I, I've been I've been using these guys, and they're really great. And they not and what it, once you do the the design, they'll give you all different options. You can put it on a hoodie, you can put it on this, and it's no extra charge to make all of them available. And then as they come, the orders come in, they just sublimate print them and they send them out to whoever ordered them you so we've what? got sleeves we've got shorts we've got t-shirts we've got everything it's all exactly the same design and everyone's happy about it so that, that has saved me a lot of shout out for this podcast the worthy 2023 shout out because they're keeping it affordable for archers yeah let me actually see what the name of the company is because off the top of my head i don't remember and it's it, the company's name is big leak shirts Big league and, shirts. And if you go there, you can design online. You can actually see our design is in there too. Or everyone who's who's ever done shirts with them, they have it in their catalog. And they can just order right from there. Some some guys have different they offer polos, they offer zip up, Chinese collar, whatever's legal for you to shoot in um for you to shoot in when you're participating in a competition, which is a big deal because certain competitions you're not allowed to wear like T shirts and stuff like that. So if you want need to get a polo, they have a polo version. And they don't charge us anything additional to have all that stuff available. Do which they is great. ship globally? I'm pretty sure they do. You'd have so, to check with them. If someone wanted a high power shirt, could they order? Go from on their them? website, they can order it. Yep. And go on there, just do look through all the shirts, and you'll find high power archery, and you see all the different things that we have. I don't make a dime off that. I don't want to make a dime off it. But the thing is that they have it available so that anybody can order it, which is great little bit of a problem because I wanted my link unlisted so I couldn't have people saying oh yeah I shoot with high power no you don't but but if they want to support us whatever hey I great I think if, if people want to support you stick, stick a five or six dollar upcharge on that you get 
You're going to have to send me a link and I'll drop their link in the show notes. We'll support them. And if we can support you at the same time, we'll support you. Yeah, that's one thing you can do. I mean, these days, when you're looking on social media, you see a lot of people like, well, if you want to support us, send it to a, send, send whatever your donation is to Cash App and this and that and all the other things, or send a donation to PayPal for us. Here's our PayPal link, whatever. Um, with all the things that I've been through since the divorce and all my medical bills and all that, I never did anything like that. Um, it's not something that I wanted to do, whatever. Financially, times are very hard right now. Would I do it if it came down to it? If I couldn't keep the lights on to do that, then yeah, I might. But, you know. I mean, Teespring, they drop ship, don't they? I, I, yeah. If you went via Teespring, I could order a high power t shirt and you'd get a cut of that. Be interesting to see if it's off of. Christ, you can tell them on the side, I've forgotten the name. Big League shirts. Yeah. Interesting to see if they could do a thing where if someone orders one of your shirts from them, mm-hmm. you can get a commission off it. Yeah, it, it's, it's one of those things. It's one cost- way of folks supporting you. Yeah. You know, a lot of people don't realize that when I do the podcast and stuff like that, when I say that I'm not trying to pump up my own tires or anything like that. I'm just telling you what I do because it's our philosophy. It's the way my teacher taught me to do things and all that. But people send me every week between 30, 40, 50 emails. I answer all of them. Yeah. Okay? If anyone out there has sent me an email, I didn't answer it, send it to me again because we might have been at a time when we were having problems with our website, whatever. It is what it is. But I answer them. Now, some people, okay, they tell me they got this problem. I'll jump on video sessions with them, whatever, just to see what's going on. Other times I I actually generate reports for people and I say, here, based on the shooting stuff, this is what you got to correct, all that. So they have something to refer to when they want to do it. I don't charge people for any of that sort of thing. So anybody out there who's got a problem, I'm not afraid to go ahead and answer you and help you out. It's just the way we do things. Yeah. You know, I coach and all that. So if people want coaching, I can do remote coaching over Zoom, that sort of thing. That's something that I've always been able to do. I don't do a lot of it because most of my kids are located right here. Yeah. But over the last three years, most of my kids are aging out and now they're going off to college in different places. I still coach them, but I have to do it via Zoom. There's no reason that you shouldn't have access to a coach because you're not located in the same geographical area as them. So I try to help as many people as I can, but that's something that I think I'm going to expand going to going with in the future if I can, where we'll offer coaching services no matter where you are. We can still do it. We can do Zoom sessions and all that. The problem is a lot of people, well, now it's less common, but before you would say Zoom and people didn't know what the hell you were talking about. Yeah. Like, what's a Zoom? Like, and it's not some kind of scam or something like that. It's just another tool that we use. But yeah, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, getting back to what's going on with the prices of the bows, I got people emailing me saying, I want to buy, you know, a new bow. I am not blessed with tons of money. Congratulations. Nobody is these days. But when I go to my shop, they tell me, well, you can't shoot it because we don't have it. You want, pay for it, order it. But that also means pay for it, order it. You don't like it or you like it. You're stuck with it. Yeah. Because once a bow is shot to them, it's used. That's so a I'm like, big thing here in the UK, and it's yeah. So you tell me you that you want to find if you want to try half a dozen bows, you're not going to find half a dozen in one in one dealer. And they, they order as them a in, former dealer, they need them. 
as a former dealer, I can tell you, I can understand some of that, but I can't understand it. If you actually have a storefront, yeah, you have to keep stock and inventory. You should have a demo bow that someone can try, yeah, and everything works. That for most of the companies now is completely possible because they all have modules you can change the draw length on. Yeah. For somebody and Stephen Ham made a big thing about this. For somebody like Matthews, their structure for how they do bows is extremely prohibitive to do something like yes. that. Because now you have to keep five different draw weight modules, five you have to get the, the draw length modules, number one, for whatever size you want. Yes. Yeah. You have to get the same module in various draw weights. Yeah. Well, instead of having just one module that I flip whatever, yeah, you've got a lot of convenience that you can and make a 50-pound bow a 70-pound well. bow. Yeah, but now you got to have those modules in every draw length. What am I going to have, 100 modules yeah. that someone can try? I'm not going to stock 500 modules, and that's what Stephen Hand was complaining about. Yeah. Like, I don't sell Matthews particularly because of this. So that's a big deal, and that they don't want to go away from that because they feel that a proper length module – is what the bow is designed for and the movable modules used to be well at its lowest setting the bow's performance is its lowest and at the at the longest setting the bow's performance is the highest that's no longer the case with most of the module most of the cams that are made these days yeah now they're just as efficient as they are in the shorter draw lengths as they are in the longer draw lengths bowtech is kind of in the middle with that where they have the 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 middle cam and then they have the longer cams Longer cams cover from this draw length to this draw length, and the, the the other cam, the smaller one, cover from this draw length. That's a pretty good, you know. Well, I mean, Hoyt went compromise. That, didn't they from being cam specific? Yes, got, I think it used to be three cams, and now it's two cams, mm-hmm. and modules have fit those. So, yeah, well, it's not like. But imagine 20, that. That's still kind of prohibitive. And twenty-nine to thirty-one, something like that, and then on the yeah, one, for, the bows, for a dealer that doesn't that doesn't have a lot of money. They've got to invest in keeping two versions of the same bow. Yeah. One with the smaller cam, one with the bigger cam. Yeah. And if you happen to sell all smaller ones, then at the end of the year, what are you going to do with the bigger cam? Well, yeah. you got to wholesale it or sell it cheaper, whatever. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. But again, it's all about economics. What can people afford to do these days? The cost of doing business. It's the cost of doing business, but that's why, and I can tell you from firsthand experience, I did not open my archery dealership with PSD to make money. I did it out of convenience so so the kids would be able to get their bows and and get it at an affordable price because MSRP, even on PSE bows that you're legally allowed to advertise, is still really high. Yeah. But, you know, the kids would basically pay whatever I paid for it, and that was it. We don't advertise, didn't do anything like that when I was a dealer. That all changed when the new company took over. And like I, you know what we talked about this on podcast before. As soon as PSE changed hands, you didn't have to drop me. I bolted. I wanted nothing to do with you because yeah. I was associated with the family company that Pete Shepley ran for many years. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, it's this unknown company that owns them. That's kind of shady in the way they do stuff. And I'm not saying they're a shady company. The fact is, we don't know about them enough to say they're a shady company or not. We don't. Yeah, we it's like we still know don't know who's about the people who's running everything behind the company, but their way of doing business has changed, and that's annoyed me and bugged me. So, like, okay, fine. And now my kids are like, whatever you want to shoot, 
I'm cool with that. Yeah. I take them to the range where we shoot our tournaments are. She's really, really good over there. She sells Hoyt, PSE, Elite. And for me, for all, all the bows that are out there right now, Elite is the least trouble cinema of all of them and the most adaptable. So my girls can shoot adult size, you know, flagship bows from them yeah. and have no problems. You try doing that with a Hoyt, unfortunately, you're $1,800 into it for a target bow. And Hoyt bows, for whatever, however they do it, are really freaking heavy. Yeah. So it's not really cut out for them. They used to, they have a, they used to come up with a, a shorter version of each bow that was designed for women and kids. Yeah. But this bow here, this is an elite verdict. Okay. My, my number one shooter shoots this. Okay. We paid retail for it. I think it was about 1600 bucks yeah. for this thing. And that's before you put everything else on it. However, when the parents asked me, they're like, we'll buy whatever you say, but we don't want to spend money needlessly. I said, well, if that's what you want, then you get this until, I see otherwise from somebody else, this is what you're going to be getting. And they just bought her a second bow. We're waiting for it to come in. She's going to Vegas this year. We want to have nice. two bows to go over there. Um, one that will take on the plane and the other one that will ship over there. Because the, the fact is, I've had it happen to me where I take two bows, one on the plane and one ship, and one doesn't show up over there. I had my I had my PSE bow, one of them, go to London when I was going to Vegas. Wow. <laughs> Now imagine if I only had one bow. I get over there, I spend five grand on a trip to Vegas, and I don't have a bow to shoot. So until the airlines straighten out their problems, most of my kids shoot with two bows if they can fi- financially afford it. Most of them don't do all these big national tournaments because it's expensive. Yeah. Traveling, it's generally a pain in the ass. So going with one bow, they try to get the best they can get. And like I said, I don't care. This is always going to be my motto. You know it. I don't care what you shoot as long as you shoot it well. It doesn't make a difference if it's a $300 bow versus a $2,000 bow. I see guys all the time, and I say it on my podcast all the time, that come out there with three and $4,000 rigs who can't shoot worth a damn. Yeah. Yet one of my kids shooting a $400 bow will destroy them. It's Oh, it, it's, the, it's a soggy bit behind the bow that makes a big difference, isn't it? And I mean, I think, I think, unless you're buying some of the real cheap Chinese stuff, I don't think any of the manufacturers now produce a bad bow, do they? Nope. And even the Chinese stuff is coming up in in its compatibility. I mean, the only thing with Chinese that I'll say about this, they don't respect American patents, and we all know that. Yeah. <laughs> so they don't respect Stephen Han on his website. Patents. On his website. He has some toe point bows and some other brand bows. They are clearly Matthew style cams on them and all kinds of other stuff. Oh yeah. But they shoot great. So if you got a kid who can't afford a $2,000 bow, I have no problem. Watch all of America come after me. Now I have no problem (laughs) with them buying a $700 Chinese bow. I will rip the strings off of it because that's the only thing I will tell you about Chinese bows. The strings, strings are, are shit. <laughs> <laughs> rip, the, rip, rip the strings off. Send the specs over to, to, to one of the string companies. I don't care which one you use. Okay, I like gas. Eric Griggs is a great guy. Their turnaround time is fast. I used to use local providers before. People get too big. 
they start to suck. Yeah. That's the problem. Gas has always been consistent with their stuff. He grew to 10 times his size, and he's still consistent. If anything, he did the other side of the curve where now he actually ships faster than he used to. So that, to me, is important. I think that's... I don't remember watching a video from Eric Griggs, and he himself still goes on the shop floor and randomly picks strings to make sure they're intolerant, aren't they? And if they're not, he wants to know why. And he will deal with the problem if it's not. Yeah. And... I will tell you right now, if you have a problem with his bowstrings when they when they get to you, something's not right, whatever, they go out of their way, move heaven and hell to get you the right set to you because he recognizes that customer service and your reputation is everything. Well, I've, and I've that's used what two they do American string makers, Unbound Archery, I mm-hmm. think they're out of Kentucky, and the Archery Shack just up the road from Anthony. And I'd set from both of those for the Kuma. And the Kuma's got a module that's got like a knife edge on it. Yeah. And I had a little bit of serving separation show. I sent them both photos, and they're both immediately. And, I mean, I'd, I'd got them in less than 10 days, sent out new string and cable sets. Well, you, you know, Jeremy... that kind of service. And, say, Jeremy at the Archery Shack and Nick Dower at Unbound Archery, these guys bend over backwards and... I said, look, I'm, you know I'm in the UK. Let me. Both of them, I said, let me pay shipping. It's no, sir, we've got it covered. Our strings don't do that. And they stand so hard behind their product. It's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, Jeremy just released a video and he was showing his shop, like, before Christmas and with these, these things he's got down to separate his shop's back end from the front yeah. and the whole thing. And he was saying that when he first, you know, opened up, it was just him back there mm. doing everything. But as he grew, he hired more people, to, but he's making sure they're doing the right quality work and all that. And if you see his shop, some people say, well, that shop looks like a mess. If the shop looks like a mess, I hate to tell you, they're doing the right thing. That means they're staying busy and they're doing everything. They, they're they all about business. They don't have time to straighten up and all that. Maybe after the smoke clears and they have a slow day, they can clean it up. My shop is the same way. My workshop I have here that I'm actually in right now where I do my videos and stuff like that, on any given day, it looks like a bomb hit it because my girls come in here and they have the run of the shop on Thursday nights and they do whatever they're going to do. And you don't have time to put everything back sometimes. I've got tools all over the place. You name it. But everything is here. It's a used shop. Yeah. It's constantly working. If you roll into a place, and I'm just going to say this because I see it too often, and their workbenches and all that are like right in public view and all that. Walk away. Yeah. Because they're all nice, neat, and tidy. And I'm not making fun of anybody out there, but you know exactly who I'm talking about if you're here in the local New York City area. <laughs> but that's all bullshit because these guys are like taking the bows and they're doing the work in front of you. And if you're talking about a major job, I got this the other day where I had somebody that I ran into at the range tell me, oh, yeah, I went to this place, and he did the string change right in front of me. I'm like, he did, did he? Like, he charged me $450, did the string change in front of me, and sent me out the door. Like, did he tune it? Did he check the timing? $450. But a string change for a competent bow tech is what, uh, 20 minutes? I would like to say that's outrageous, but that's what most of these guys, between $300 and $350 is what they're changing, including the cost of the strings, to drop them on your bow. Half of them don't tune it. 
Half of them like, does it shoot through paper okay? Yeah. From five feet away. Really? Okay, whatever. Um, that's what they do. If you come to Jesus. me, I don't do, I only work on my kids' bows now. I don't yeah. do anybody else. Okay. Kids and friends are the only ones I work on. But here's my deal. If you come to me and you say, I want to get my strings changed, I'm like, order them, pay whatever you're going to pay for them, yeah. get them from whoever you want. There are some places I would tell them, don't you dare order a set of strings from such and such company because of the horror shows I've had with them before. Yeah. I mean, stretching out of the box and the whole, it's nightmare. But let's just say he wants to order a set of gas bow strings. Fine. Order them. Their highest line strings are going to cost you about 150 US. Yeah. Okay. Shifting everything to you. That's not bad compared to what I see. Okay. Get the strings. People are going to say $150 for strings. Yeah. There are strings out there. People try to charge you three and $400 just for the set. But whatever. Jesus. I digress. Bring it to me and I will tell you, fine. It'll take me a couple of days. And it's not because I'm so lazy that I'm going to let them sit there for three days and then put them on the day you're coming to pick it up. Once you give them to me, I got to mount them on the bow. Yeah. If it's bow has yokes, Jeremy just did a video on this, seeing if they're leaning one way or the other. That all takes time. Yeah. Okay. Then you want to tune the bow. You want to check your cam timing. You want to do this. You want to do that. And then when the shooter gets here, all right, pull it back. Let me know how it feels. Okay. Just because the timing works for one person doesn't mean it works for somebody else. Yeah. And then I do my creep tuning. I do all the other stuff. All that takes time. What do I charge to do something like that? My kids, if they're buying the strings and all that, that's all on my dime because I am working on it. When I yeah. used to charge people for it, for a full tune job, whatever you pay for the strings, I charge you about $80 to put them on. Yeah. Okay. Which, considering the fact I'm putting in about five five to six hours of work for each one, I'm making $15 an hour. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. So it's a lose-lose. If you open up an archery business, it's not I mean, to make money. It's got to be because you love what you do. Just to throw them on, which is a 20-minute job and not tune it. That's atrocious. But that's very common now. And people are willing to pay it because they want this instant gratification. Like, oh, I know I can go there and get my strings changed while I wait. Yeah. Okay. And the bow, the bow will shoot like shit when you leave because you didn't tune it. You didn't do this. And then they wonder why this is happening to them. But that's precisely why it's happening to them. So it's all about what are you going to get? What, what kind of value? Numbers have skyrocketed and all that. And unfortunately, all shops are running into the one and done. I went there. I got burned. I'll never go back. And a lot of guys live on that. Where Anthony has, you know, in his area, he's got Saluda Archery over there. Yeah. They make their money based on their reputation. Yeah. Good shops right now will make more money on the service than they ever do selling a boat. Yeah. Because actually, the money you make on selling a boat is so minimal, you can't live on that. So when I actually sold PSC bows, if I was making $200 on a bow, I ate up those $200 in the time it took me to set it up for the, for the person and all yeah. that. So it's not something you can make money at. You're, it's very, very difficult. You'd have to do massive volume, but massive volume comes with massive amounts of people working for you who all have to get paid. Yeah. So it's not a great industry to get into if you're a money-making person. Everybody who does well in it right now, and this is – kind of what the other trend that we should talk about is going, he's got all online businesses. And the number one person out there is not Lancaster Archery. Well, everyone thinks Lancaster is probably the best place to go, and they are a great source. You can get everything from them. Yeah. But, but 
if you like seeing what's going on and you want to know that the person who's actually listing all these things for sale on his website actually gives a shit and is testing all them, then it's MFJJ. I was going to say we're Archer. talking that bow shop out in Spokane Valley in Washington, aren't we? Washington Because State. he tests everything. He gives it his grade. And I will tell you, from my point of view, he doesn't have anything on that website that he considers trash that he could just make money on. Yeah. He has everything quality. And he, somehow he keeps them all in stock. I don't know how. I don't know what devil he's paying. <laughs> you know, he made a deal with to get all the Hamsky stuff and every other things in there. But Lancaster has a large inventory as well. But I tell people, if you took the Lancaster book, which is about that thick, yeah, it's confusing because there's a million and one options. It's like going to a restaurant that has a 15-page menu. There's too much shit in there to figure out what's good and what's bad. The best restaurants have a two-page menu. Here's what we have. This is all we make. And you know why? Because we're good at it. Yeah. So same way. He's got all the stuff that he knows works. No crap. Lancaster just tries to be the outlet where everyone can come and get what they want. And that's one business model that has worked for them forever. And that's great. Yeah. But if you want to get something where you know and you don't know much, then go to MFJJ's website, look at the stuff, grab it from over there, and order it. Um, he put a new video put- up last night, didn't he, looking at the Baker, Baker Archery product devices. And he said, "That's another guy that if you're if you're a home user, or even if you're a professional shop, the stuff that Baker makes, yeah, is going to last you way past the time you're dead <laughs> because it doesn't break. I've ordered stuff that, with the exception of the OMP bovice, which is the one that I use, yeah, I've ordered stuff that was so shitty that you predicted it was going to last a year and then break. Maybe that, yeah." But all the stuff that Butch Baker makes is absolutely exquisite when it comes to durability. And he makes it simple, so you don't have to be a mad scientist to understand how the shit works. Well, he's got a so hell of a good reputation, deal. hasn't he, Butch Baker? Mm-hmm. Because he sells to string makers. Yeah. String makers are making the product. So if somebody's providing manufacturers with the equipment, they've got to be reliable. He just also happens to sell stuff for the general public. Yeah. He doesn't care who you are. You don't need to be a wholesaler or something like that to come buy his stuff. He'll sell it to you. And it's not like he's selling you one grade versus another. You know, other companies started out like that. They got too big, whatever. I'm not going to mention any names, even though they know who they are and they probably listen to this. But um, the idea is make stuff that is the same quality for the end, end consumer as it is for somebody that you're doing a million dollars worth of business with. Yes. I mean, MFJJ said when he reviewed the BAP Bovices, yeah, he said it was really hard work to convince them to let him sell <laughs> their product. So I presume Butch has the same. Whereas MFJJ wants to know the quality, the products he's selling are quality. They want to know retailers selling their products. Yeah, are responsible and have yeah. a good reputation because but that's really if, nice to see from a manufacturer. You've got to limit who's selling your stuff because if you don't, then every Cheech and Chong shop out there is selling your crap, and they could be saying you could get this, but take the 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 cheaper one because it's going to do better for you or yeah. something like that. And that reputation ruins companies' reputations. Yeah, Hoyt tried to go the other way 
where Hoyt's like, we're so exclusive, you can't sell our bows unless you have a great reputation and you're doing punitively $50,000 worth of business with us every year. Who can afford to do that? Yeah. So only established shops can do that. Matthews is not far from there. Um, but everybody else has always set their bar a little lower so you can sell their stuff in the bow area. But in the accessories, there's always been anybody can sell anything. Call yeah. it up, open up an account with us. Boom, you, you have a reseller certificate. You can sell our stuff. The guy that I deal with for my cigars also, he's right here in New Jersey. This guy owns his own company in the Dominican Republic that makes his cigars for him. He owns nice. the company. He's so critical with the stuff. Each one of his cigars is weighed and before it gets shipped out to make sure it's draw tested and the whole bit. With someone who's listening to an archery podcast has no idea what that means. <laughs> All it means he's testing it for quality before it leaves his shop. Yeah. In the cigar industry, it's just like in the archery industry, there's a lot of shit out there. So he only sells to 40 shops here in the United States his stuff. Because he wants to make sure that the place that he's selling it at is reputable because if their reputation sucks and they're selling your stuff, guess what? It comes back to you and your reputation sucks. Yeah, I'm if, sure if Butch Baker's the same way. If they're not selling your cigars properly, exactly. people are going to buy your cigars. They're going to taste like crap. They're going to smoke crap. And it gets your cigars a really bad name very quickly. Exactly. So that's something that he controls. And I see certain people in the archery going that way and that's the right way to go yeah butch baker's one of them you can't sell my stuff whatever mfjj now sells his stuff it makes sense everybody trusts him for the stuff he sells and reviews he does yeah so that's a good place to put it i think lancaster has some baker archery products on there i'm not quite sure i think i remember them being on there but you can also go directly to butch baker's website and just buy them all there yeah you know you're not going to have much of a price difference it is what it is um See, that's, you know you, that's yeah. one thing I love about gas bowstrings. I remember last year they said, because folks would order from them or order from a dealer, but it's the same price yeah. wherever you go. And Eric Griggs last year, I remember him, was it last year or the year before, put up a post saying, we've been asked about a Black Friday sale. He said, we're not doing one at the factory. If retailers want to do it, it's up to them. But if we run one at the factory and the shops don't we're undercutting the mom and pop stores who can't exactly. afford to give the discounts and they are our bread and butter they mm -hmm. who they are who makes they are who sells our products this year they announced they would do a sale but they would pass the discounts on to the mom and yeah. pop stores so they could afford to do it and i think that's such a wonderfully ethical way of doing business it is because he he recognizes it's the mom and pop stores that keep the industry alive where you you're not going to have somewhere the size of lancaster or somewhere the size of spokane valley archery in every town but you might have a yeah. mom and pop store and in supporting the mom and pop stores he's supporting the industry and mm -hmm. it's lovely to see a manufacturer give those kinds, that kind of support to their retailers. I I remember there was a big hoo-ha a couple of three years ago about Hoyt. Dealers were saying, we've been told we cannot discount from, is it MSRP you have out there? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they allowed Lancaster to discount. 
So everybody yeah, was crazy. ordering online from, which was yep. hurting the mom and pop stores. It's hurting the small town stores in the heartlands. The biggest thing hurting small small stores right now is not Lancaster Archery. Amazon. Um, it's fucking Amazon. Yeah. Use my French. It's fucking Amazon. You can find things on there, and the manufacturers are trying. The ATA is the Archery Trade Association. That's what we have here in the states. Yeah. They're trying to come up with a system that can search Amazon for anybody undercutting MSRP and all that. But it's very difficult because Amazon itself will drop a price on something if they see it's a trending, and they screw over their own dealers and stuff like that. So you're always going to have somebody who buys it from somebody else on a wholesale or they couldn't sell it, puts it on Amazon. They're not the original dealer. Can can they do anything to that dealer? Probably not. Yeah. But they can at least get it delisted from Amazon or something like that. So it's slightly different over here. We have anti-carteling laws mm-hmm. and anti-price fixing laws. We have what they call an RRP, a recommended retail price. And yeah. the big one was, cause I mean, when Amazon started, it was a bookstore, wasn't it? That's what they did. They sold yeah. books. Over here, you, you know how expensive a hardback is. Well, because Amazon hadn't got all these bricks and mortar stores, they just had a massive central warehouse. And before they employed all their own drivers, it was all sent out by couriers. Yeah. They could understand undercut the likes of Asda which is owned by Walmart they mm-hmm. could undercut the bookstores and the bookstores went to the took them to court and said stop them doing this and they did it and the court said no really we're not okay. going to stop them doing it because we're protecting free trade what you're trying to do is cartel yeah you're fixing prices and that's against the free market principle. Yeah, the, the opposite exists here in the United States. But they try to protect the manufacturers. No, Amazon's prices are creeping up. I mean, for years, I wouldn't use Amazon. <laughs> now I will. I, I've got a bow I bought from Amazon. My yeah. Mandarin Duck Black Hunter. Oh, yeah, I have one of those. 103 quid from Amazon. There was only one seller in the UK... At that time, one brick and mortar shop selling that bow. And we had a friend who looked on, who contacted Mandarin Duck directly, and I think they were going out of 55 quid a bow. Wow. And the one brick and... I understand a brick and mortar store has to make a profit. They have overheads. Cross, when I was working in the garage, I, I could tell you exactly what we needed to make a to break even and b to make that garage profitable yeah when the brick and mortar store was selling that bow for 279 pounds offering it saying it's discounted from 319 i don't mind paying a premium for a brick and mortar store uh-huh. But I will not have my pants down and be fucked from behind without even at least being taken. Somehow to, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> without at least being taken to dinner first. It ain't happening. Yeah. It's not happening. I will support small where I can. But That's when I'm being problem, dicked, man. go fuck yourself. So when you look at what's gone on the last year since that's what this podcast is all about. Yeah. You're starting to see more and more manufacturers change their model, how they're doing business. Yeah. And 
I believe Botech was the first one to actually do it. That's why I think that their their centric focus on what they're doing has changed and why they wound up dropping Kyle and and Tim Gillingham and all that. Because Botech was the first one to say, you can buy our bows from Lancaster Archery online now. Yeah. Flagship. You can buy from them, order it online, and Lancaster will ship it to you. Yeah. Before that, that was like heresy because nobody would let you sell their bows online. PSE had a thing where only like two or three dealers could actually sell online. Now all of a sudden, Botech says, you want to buy online? Get it from Lancaster. They can get you to bow the next day or in a couple of days if they don't have it in stock. Yeah, so in so, PSE and I know Bear did the same. They had the mainline series, which you could get online or from big box stores. But then to support the mom and pops, they had, I think, Bear was the legend series and yeah. PSE was the pro series, wasn't it? Where it had to be a pro shop. Yeah. And you had to go into a brick and mortar store and buy it. And that's what's changing now because now all of a sudden they're seeing, well, people shy away from going to brick and mortar stores sometimes because they might be getting screwed on the price or the customer service sucks yeah, or something like that. Or they go and buy a different brand because the guy that you're buying your bow from can't afford to sell our 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 brand over there. Yeah. But if I can sell it through some big retailer who's got billions of dollars, Lancaster, to warehouse this stuff and send it out to you in a good way, get it there fast, why would I not do that? Yeah. So PSE used to sell most people don't know this, but if you went back to like 2015, 2014, something like that, PSE used to sell their own bows online. You could go to the PSE website and buy bows there. Yeah. That all changed. They went to, you know, the dealership only for flagships and stuff like that. Then they just went to big box stores selling their the entry level lines and stuff like that. Yeah. Botech has just said, screw that. We want to stay in business. We're going to sell it through Lancaster with one of our outlets. Yeah. Lancaster's big enough. They do it. They got the money to do it. It's the changing nature of commerce, isn't it? More and more it's people want to What's happened in the last year? But again, so, Lancaster have a reputation to protect, don't they? Yes, they do. So Lancaster is saying, okay, with this new business model, buy it from us online. If you ever have a problem with it, bring it to us. We're still a dealer and we can get it serviced or whatever. Yeah. Works for anybody. You go to a Botech dealer, they should be able to service one that you bought from Lancaster. Depends on the dealer and how much of a dick he wants to be or whatever. But it's like that. Entry-level bows is the same way. Big box stores used to sell them and set them up for you. Now a lot of people just order from, you know, Dick Sporting Goods Online or they order from Amazon or whatever. But you still got to bring it to somebody to get it set up yeah. unless the person already knows how to set it up. So you're paying extra money to set it up to some for somebody which is only right because if they're not making oh, any money yeah. on the sale of the bow, then they, you got to pay for their time to set it up. Yeah. Not extravagant, but pay pay some reasonable fee to get it set up. Oh, yeah. If, if I've bought a bow from somewhere else and taken it into a shop, I mean, we have one prime dealer in the UK, Tony Weston at the Archery Company, and he's amazing with primes. New year, I'm going to order a new string and cable set for the Black Five. Uh, yeah. I was on an R and do I go unbound or archery shack? But yeah, Jeremy shot primes for years. He's a prime dealer. 
Mm-hmm. So I think the strings I'll order from Jeremy. I had a look on his site the other day. A hundred and sixteen dollars. Yeah. For a seven piece set from Prime. For a Prime. Prime is convert, the only thing. Convert that, that into pounds. That's about oh, yeah. ninety quid. The cheapest. Yeah. So I had VAT on. That's yeah. a hundred and eight quid. Shipping twenty dollars. That's a hundred and which is about what sixteen quid. Yeah. About hundred and twenty five quid with a twelve month warranty. The cheapest I can find a set made in the UK for is just shy of two hundred quid because they come yeah. for I think it's about hundred and twenty five quid for a five piece set. Mm-hmm. And if you want the yokes as well to make the full seven piece set, yeah. that's an extra seventy quid. Yeah. Why so would I go thing... to the UK? When I bought my Prime, there was a set of strings fitted from the UK's premier string maker. I've had to have them reserved three times already. Yeah. Both ends of both yoke servings. Centre serving, yet yeah, a bit of wear and tear. But the the yoke for the string, I've had to have both yeah. of those reserved as well because the serving split wide open. Well, here's what I'm going to say about why, Prime. Why wouldn't I go to an American string builder that can do it cheaper exactly. and better? So with Prime, if you find an American string builder who's known for the quality, Archery Shack, he, he shoots them, he knows it. Yeah. You can order it from them as long as you have somebody who knows what they're doing with the Prime 19-piece string sets or whatever the fuck <laughs> they are. <laughs> now, Prime has gotten away from that. Spaghetti bundles. Yeah, they Prime went away from those multi-string, multi-piece string sets and went back to, like everybody else, two cables and a string now for a lot of their models. But if you're going to do a Prime like that and you have somebody locally who understands Prime and knows how they work yeah. and knows how to tune a Prime when you change strings, no problem. Well, that's why I'll get to know, Tony Weston and I will gladly pay you. I mean, then it's you're right, cool. really reasonable. But if you're the type of person who doesn't have a shop near you and you don't know dick about changing prime strings and know where you've got to measure them and how to adjust them, yeah. then prime is the one 87 piece string set <laughs> that will drive you fucking insane trying to get it to tune and do everything. Well, I've got I have enough to experience. I don't know how to tune them, which is why well, I'm going to go yeah. to Tony Weston and exactly. pay Tony to do it. Because I've had people that bought, bought primes and went to some yokel around here i'm not calling them yokels they're like the big archery shops around here and there's only four of them in new york city that are that are here two of which i wouldn't ever dare you to go in there and get your bow done because it'll come out and you'll be probably blow up in your face yep the third one by all means go to him because whoever goes to him used to wind up coming to me because he would fuck up their bow and (laughs) they have to come to me to tune it anyway um but if you don't live in an area like that that has somebody who knows what they're doing, then by all means, when it comes to Jeremy at the Archery Shack, ship him your bow. Let him do it for you yeah. and let him ship it back to you. If you're here in the States and you're near Jeremy, ship it to him or bring it to him. If you're also here in the States and you want a good string set mate, the guy to do is MFJJ because he does it. He makes his own strings. He doesn't anymore. He stopped making them. He, he now uses gas. Yeah, I think he's got so Why? big and so busy that he does. He, he still have the policy that he won't sell you strings unless you ship him the bow. I th- I'm not sure. I know with his own podium strings, she said it. 
things affect strings. Zipping up to 35,000 feet in an airliner makes a yeah. big difference. So I think what he used to do was he wouldn't put strings on your bow unless you sent him the bow and he changed the strings. Otherwise, he's not selling you strings. Yeah. If that's the case still, then that's what he should continue to do. But because that's because, because they were his strings. His name was on them. He didn't want yeah. some half-wit sticking the strings exactly. on, screwing up your bow, and giving his strings a bad reputation, which you've got to understand, he's protecting his reputation, and his reputation yeah. is hard-earned. Yeah, exactly. And it's like I, like I say, and I'm not... Everybody knows what my past is and my service record and the whole bit. But I will tell you this. You could have the most expensive set of strings if the operator who's putting them on there is a complete idiot. Yeah. I don't care if you have gas bow strings, best set of strings. If the moron putting them on doesn't know what he's doing, they're going to last about two or three months before something really bad happens. Yeah. Because in your case with a bear, like Akuma is known to have edges on them that are very, very sharp and all that. Put them on, order the right size. Doesn't make a difference. But if you don't know what you're doing and you put them on funny or unbalanced, it's going to cut the servings. The servings will start to stretch. It'll start to widen out. Most people don't look at their servings half the time, and the servings pop. So do you really want that? No. Well, Go this, to somebody this was who knows a case what with Unbound. I'd specified a color serving, and then end that in one in one particular that color in one brand and when yeah. I, when I got the separation I I I messaged Nick yeah it was about six o'clock our time about one o'clock his time and no it wasn't it was late his time I emailed early in the morning it'd be about 1 a.m his time and I thought a couple of days he'll get back to me <clears throat> excuse me within it was literally seconds he yeah. come back to me he said look we're travelling at the moment uh, that shouldn't have happened he said I think that's to do with the diameter of serving course of the colour you specified which it was my mm -hmm. fault it yeah. was my fault and he said would you mind if we did a different coloured serving but because I'm going to have to change the colour of the serving because I need to go a much smaller diameter. I'll send you an entire new string and cable set. He said we were on vacation, and I felt so guilty. Yeah. I felt so guilty about this. He said, we're back home on Sunday. I've got a couple to do. I'll have yours. I'll start making yours on Tuesday. And again, I said, look, let me cover shipping. No, 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 no. We've got you covered. And your money is made on your reputation. That's why. So had, he's doing had, the right thing by you. Yeah. I had a message on the Tuesday morning. It had been morning his time. Sent me a photo of the new string and cable set and said we're shipping them this afternoon. And you know what? Yeah. People like that, you cannot, you cannot buy that level of customer service. No. So I've can't. said now, there are several string makers I'd, I'd like to try but because of the service I've received there are only two I will use yeah 
And I feel really guilty if I pick one and not the other. You know, that's, does, that, <laughs> does that sound weird? Because well, they've mean, both gone above and beyond for me. They've both got showed the most amazing customer service. I, I bought a set when I had my Stinger X from a UK maker. And within 10 days, the serving had unwound. And I yeah. went, when Ryan had got his shop, Ryan was the only UK string maker I'd trust because he knew how to build a set of strings. But oh. when he opened his shop, part of raising the finance to open his shop was selling his string making equipment so he yeah. could buy stock. And, and Ryan said, like- I know exactly what, what's happened there. The servant hadn't been put it- on tight enough. Message the shop I'd bought these from. And they said, yeah get the strings taken off, ship them back to us. We'll have them reserved and ship them back to you and then you can go and have them put on. I said, but that's going to cost me the labour to have them taken off. The trip, the time and the petrol to get to the ship to have them taken off. The shipping, Mm -hmm. another run there to have them put back on and the labour again. And I found the owner of the shop and said, look, I'm suddenly Ryan Jevons of Twisted Strings. He'll reserve it for me. He said, put him on. Ryan said, how much he charged to strip the bow down, reserve it and put it back on. He said, send me your card details. Give uh-huh. me your card details now. I'll credit your card and pay Ryan. Yeah, that's that was, that good, was a good thing for them I to do. I never had anything like that from Jeremy or Nick, the Archery Shack or Unbound Archery. They just said straight away, we're sending you new. Yeah, sometimes and you have I'm to thinking, argue with people. And I'm thinking, you know over. what? This is, I, w- I was mind blown by the level of service I received from these guys. None of this and- take it to a shop, you know. I, I when they sent them out, I took and Ryan, I trusted. Like I say, it was Ryan had to close the shop because he was at a point where he was so busy, he was doing stupid hours for not a lot of money. But you know what it's like in business; you have to do an excessive amount to justify a second employee exactly and he was too busy for himself but not busy enough to justify the second employee exactly which so he had, it, it broke his heart to make the decision but he said you know what I'm going to close the shop and I'm just going to go and get a 9 to 5 where I haven't got the stress I haven't got the hassle uh-huh. and I'll earn more money it's like me when I first started out, um, where I was turning it into a business. I've always coached, but as far as trying to make the business work for my students, I used to make my own strings. Okay, yeah. but for me to make a set of strings to my specs it takes me six to seven hours. Yeah. Okay. Plus, I got to stretch them out to six hundred pounds. That's my standard for it. That's cool if you're going to make one set of strings a week. Yeah. You can find, I can't even find that kind of time right now to make one set of strings a week between treatments and work and traveling and coaching and just daily life and dealing with lawyers and stuff like that or something I'm going through financially now and all that. I don't have that kind of time. Yeah. So I tried to find somebody who was close enough to what I would do and then I would order from them. And the guy for a couple of years did everything, but when they grew too big, they couldn't do it. Yeah. They I started to see a 
a downfall in the quality, whatever. We had this last conversation time, yeah. before about yeah. a string maker. I wanted to try out, but suddenly they became the string supplier for a manufacturer. And they can't live like that. Not if they're not willing to sacrifice some of the quality for, for end yeah, users. Yeah, I think when you suddenly... It's one thing growing organically and bringing on more staff and training, but when you yeah. suddenly go from being a mom-and-pop string maker... Yeah. So you win a contract for a major manufacturer. You've got your, you've got to grow, so yep. big, so quick. That was my worry. Are uh, is quality going to suffer? Apparently, well, it hasn't. So that at some point in the future, I'll give them a try. But it was that yeah. I'd always got that nagging doubt in my mind. Eric and, Riggs started out small, like everybody else. Yeah, with gas bowstrings. But he wouldn't go big until he knew that he could guarantee the quality wasn't going to change. Yeah. And he did it the right way. And he's continuing to do it the right way because I'll tell you one thing. Once something happens and people are not getting the same quality, people leave, don't come back, and they will never trust you again. I mean, so he, he's, he's got a background, hasn't he? Hadn't he used to be the head of, is it AB, America's Best Bowstrings when they were owned by I the I think he G5 was involved group. with them, and he was a professional shooter before, yeah. so he knows what quality people are looking at. It was that. the G5 group, wasn't it? They're only elite. Yeah. So they're, so, they're another group that seemed to... No, G5 really... is prime. Yeah. G5 is prime. prime sorry, yeah. Um, they were another group. I remember Anthony saying he used to shit on them from the greatest height he could because when the G5 group first exploded, yeah. everything was shit. Cause they owned, isn't it then their own CBE as well? Um, no, that is the outdoor group. Uh, the, out, no, the, outdoor the outdoor group, group Anthony was on about, wasn't it? Yeah. Said they used to have shitty customer service, but now they've turned it round. So he's gone from dumping on them from a great height to singing praises. Yeah. So they they went through their growing pains when they brought all those companies together and they yeah. came, and they launched Elite. And they brought on the, the whole world to shoot for them and all that. And then all of a sudden it went from up here to shit with all the companies that they bought yeah. and their customer service was shit and actually their bows were not great when they first came out with them so the whole world went and started shooting elite and they're like oh shit these things suck you know but then they did what nobody else does they saw their problem they it took them a couple of years to get their shit together and now they're one of the most reliable that's why yeah. I have my kids shoot that I don't need a bow that something's going to go, go wrong with it every couple of weeks I personally do not have the head for that anymore can't handle it PSE was the same way family owned company made the stuff I had a problem with it I called my guy in customer service they shipped it out I had it in a couple of days and that was coming yeah. from the other side of the country in Arizona when the company changed I don't know what they're like today but I hear things, whatever. I can't speak to them personally. I'll just tell you that they're not the same. So, you know, the whole year as it's gone on this year, we're seeing changes. We're yeah. seeing people shift how they're doing business. We're seeing all kinds of things change in the industry to some really radical stuff that's happening. Um, but I will tell you that, at, and you'll probably have to cut this 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 episode into like two pieces if you want to have two videos for people not to watch four hours worth but I will tell you that now the way things are Elite and the Outdoor Group I know I can trust their stuff yeah okay Axel the site company I can still trust them 
They still make great sites. Well, they're, they're, they're hard still a to family get. Family-owned business, aren't they? They are a family-owned business, and they're an offshoot of another one of their businesses because they're a manufacturing company who yeah. also makes sites and stuff like that. Axel's biggest thing, and we've discussed it a million times, is being able to handle the demand. Yes. So yes. one thing I will credit them with, though, is their sites are hard to get. Yes, only because they're not going to drop their quality to start producing shit in China. Yeah. They don't do that. So while it's hard to find and you pay a little bit more for Axel stuff than you will for other stuff, they've got it, got got their process down and they're not going to sacrifice anything just to make people happy and say, I'm flooding the market with my stuff. It's like trying to find that cigar that's hard to find in other places. Well, they don't make a lot of them, so that's why people sell out of them. Yeah. Fine. Same thing with Axel. They don't make a lot. They make as much as they can handle and they don't sell out. So that's where the focus is going now. So the and biggest I, I threat... had this conversation with David G on the last episode. Mm-hmm. We were talking about Chinese equipment. Yeah. And with the way things are going with costings, I said, I honestly think Chinese equipment is a gateway to the sport. It's a gateway yep. to archery for a lot of people. And I, I was looking it is. the the bow David G shoots. He shoots a Sun Leader Hero Ten target uh-huh. bow. You can buy a package from them for about twelve hundred quid, which includes the target bow, everything, the sights, and a long rod, back rod, and mounts. That's a fantastic entry into the the sport. That's and the... it's there for people. It's a gateway. Once you get in. You're going to want to buy your Axel stuff, your CBE stuff. You're going to want to buy your Matthews bow, your Hoyt bow, your PSE, your Elite. But how many people? You're looking four or five grand for a top-end flagship setup now, aren't you? Exactly. And How that's many the people can afford to spend that to try something out? So you spend your 1,200 quid, you buy your Chinese stuff, and a lot of the chi- – come on, we all know, all base crossbows are made in China – there's a lot of <laughs> lower end, lower end American company bows. They're all made, made in China. In China. <laughs> the difference is the QC. I, I learned this yeah. when I was involved in DJing. I used to love lights from an American company, and I was talking to their VP of marketing, and their lights are made in China. You can go and buy from the factory in China at a third of the price, but they're a third of the price because you're getting untested stuff. Yeah. The thing about the American companies, they pay to put an American pl- employee in that factory to run to quality control. On. Yeah. Christ, look at Behringer. Behringer mm-hmm. stuff's made in China. People used to shit on Behringer for years in the audio industry. I've got some Behringer mm-hmm. stuff that's amazing. The problem they had was using Chinese components there was no quality control in the components they put together speakers or keyboards or synths or mixers and they'd fail because there was no QC Behringer built there's a place in China known as Behringer City yep and what Behringer do is they don't just assemble there they produce the components and they QC the components Mm -hmm. and that's the difference you know they, they the, follow the, the Apple I, whose lights I liked. Yeah, they pay an American employee to be over there, QC and everything. Anything that oh, fails like, QC gets kicked back, and only stuff that's past QC gets 
brought out and sold under their name. Yep. So you, you're paying for peace of mind. You can it's, go it's... straight to that factory and buy their lights and you'll save an absolute fortune. You might get 10 that are perfect and never fault, but you might get 10 that are heaps of shit. And yes, I'll replace well, them, but you've got to go through the whole hassle of shipping something back to China and waiting for it to come again. you got to wait the, another the three is, months. You can't manufacture stuff here in the United States or in any other country for some some for that matter. No. Without a cost that's really unbearable. Like this phone, this iPhone, if it was manufactured here in the United States, would probably cost ten thousand dollars. Oh god yeah. You know, but they manufacture in China and they sell the most expensive ones for like twelve hundred bucks or something yeah. like that. And people don't realize, oh, it should be American made. You can't. Well, it's if, not if you possible. look at a new if you buy a new iPhone and look at the box, it says proudly designed in the USA, made in China. Yeah. And to be honest, I, I I use an iPhone. Most of the goodies in this. Yeah. They're Samsung bits. Yeah. They're produced by Samsung and LG. <laughs> yeah. In foreign countries where the labor rate is low enough, but they can still have quality control on what's going on. Yeah. So that's what you want I mean, it, necessarily. It, it really it, it makes me laugh when you, you you go into somewhere like the dreaded archery talk or rock slide. <laughs> I can't be on those forums slagging <laughs> off people who buy stuff from China. I cannot be on those forums at all. Sent sent from my iPhone. <laughs> I'm thinking you're slagging off people who put exactly. Chinese on your Chinese phone. <laughs> it's the same. It's the same way. This is in exactly the same way with the industry that is going in the last year. Everything that I've seen. Okay. Yeah. People cry. I want American made, but you can't do that. So guys are making stuff elsewhere. Yeah. Like you just mentioned, the Sanlita kit. I have a new kid starting. Say if I have an, a nine-year-old, a 10-year-old is starting, yeah. okay? Which for me is kind of old. I start them at four. Whatever, just like I did. I yeah. did. But here's the thing. Do you think that a parent can afford to pay $1,500 or $1,600 for a minimal, minimal basic American branded kit for them? Yeah. Or, and and here's the other thing. They're kids. Always remember that. They're kids. Yeah. You don't know if this kid's not going to turn around in six months and say, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. So you just spend $1,500 on something that lasted six months. Yeah. Or I can go on Amazon and I can order a Sanlita X8 Hero, which is a kid-sized target, but which, like you said, comes with front and rear stabilizers, a drop-away rest, a target sight, a target scope, a lens in the scope. Yeah. It comes with a release. It comes with everything. Arm guard. Everything. It comes with a dozen arrows. Yeah. Okay? It comes with everything they need to start. And it looks like a professional target rig for $500 US. Yeah. It's, and the first thing they're going to change is those arrows. Of course, those arrows weigh an absolute... It's like shooting a fucking telegraph pole. They weigh a ton. There's a huge well, variation not, in the arrows. But then... They're into buying American arrows, so yeah. you've just opened the gateway to buy. And yet these might only come with a 12-month warranty, whereas your American stuff's got a lifetime warranty. Not but necessarily. It's, it's true. It's the gateway. The first thing they'll do is upgrade their arrows, 
Exactly. And that's where they're going to an American shop, supporting an American business. But you can't even say that unless they're buying Eastern high-end arrows. Yeah. Arrows, the bulk of the arrows, Victor in Mexico, are gold tips still produced in Mexico? I believe so. And a lot of the others are produced in the Black Far Eagle East. Is, Black Eagle's made in China, yeah. as far as I know. It's, but again, down to quality control. You've got quality, quality control. control in place. And Black Eagles. And the, I've heard nothing but good about Black Eagles. That's the only arrows that I put on my kids' bows. Okay. Yeah. Easton, for everything that they do, they're a great company. They're American made. They've been here forever. However, they're expensive. They're not something that a beginner's going to use. Yeah. And even in their lower end model arrows, there's some quality control problems. Okay. Yeah. It's just a fact. Black Eagle. Made in China, say whatever the fuck you want. China, Mexico, I don't care where they're making their stuff. Their their arrows, I can pick any any box of Black Eagle arrows, pull it out, check it for straightness. They do straightness across the whole arrow. I was so if the arrow is thirty two inches they long, don't just do the a full length. Twenty eight inches, do they? They don't, don't do the center twenty eight. They do the full length. Yeah. So even on their the cheapest arrows, it's the same process. Zero zero five across the whole thing. Well, guess what? 005 and 001, unless you're a professional shooter, you can't tell the goddamn difference. Yeah. So it is what it is. I love their stuff. Their stuff is awesome. And their stuff doesn't cost anywhere near what Easton's Black Eagle makes their X impact. Okay. Yeah. Maybe $100 for six if you buy them retail, $110 for six of them. But that is a hunting nano arrow it's also a target nano arrow yeah you want to do that in easton congratulations up until yesterday you're buying x10s that cost you five or six hundred dollars a dozen before we get to components oh yeah now they came out with a new x10 which is the it's the same the same uh it's parallel size barreled isn't it parallel barrel yeah, yeah which costs 250 a dozen still yeah it's less, but still not affordable to a lot of people. Yeah. If I can put them in, in X Impacts and my girl won the state championship running X Impacts, not X10. Thank you, Easton. We didn't want to do yours because she didn't have $1,000 to spend on a dozen arrows. Yeah. Her X10s, her, her X Impacts, the whole thing for a dozen arrows with components because they come with components and then you just buy the tips or whatever you want to get. I think we were in the 260 range for a dozen, fully outfitted, jacketed, the whole bit done. Jesus. That's all it was. See, and to me, even that's eye-watering, because I'm, I'm used to me cheap crap. <laughs> now, if some of those brands, like the ones that you use over there and the ones that Stephen Hand talks about, ever made it to the United States, they will blow a lot of companies out, out of the water. Yeah. But they don't come here. Why? Because the manufacturers fight to keep them out. Yeah. So I still have people who order the Skylons from 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 Australia to get them. They get them over here. I cut them up. I do them. They're great. Yeah. They're inexpensive, even with the shipping that you're adding onto it and all that. But the manufacturers are going to learn their lesson, and this year has been a big kick in the ass to them because they learned I can't jack up the price on a bow three or four hundred dollars for a flagship because. I want to because people aren't going to accept it. I think they've seen their sales tank. And you can't try to do stuff 
and get away with it without someone now holding you account, uh, you know, accountable. Yeah. Social media, for all its bad stuff, is the way where either you live or you die. Yes. So once it gets out there, you're screwed. It's like you get a bad reputation, it takes you a million times more difficult than to get rid of that bad reputation than it did to ever get a bad reputation in the first place. And that's the biggest change this year. People are starting saying, I'm not dealing with this anymore. I'm going to go and do this. Botech listened, and now they're selling stuff out there. Feral, there is so much bullshit out there on social media. Oh, yeah. I think it is creating more accountability for companies. Oh, yeah. And that's got to be good for the consumer at the end of the day. And YouTube, for everything that it is, I call it the... It's not the evil. It's the devil and the angel on each of your social on each of your shoulders and you have to know which one to listen to because yeah. there's so much shit on YouTube that you can't tell what to believe and what not to believe. Yeah. So that's a problem because gone in the days when someone just listened to somebody and say, he's using this so I want to use it. People are starting to wise up now. That's been the biggest change this year. Yeah. You notice that John Dudley has been a lot more quiet this year than he has been in past years. And I don't know if that's going to be because he's looking to part ways with PSC or not. I think once his contract is out, he's somewhere else. I don't know. I mean, PSC have given him one thing Hoyt would never do. PSC have given him his own bow. That's why he went there. I was actually listening to him. I've started listening to a couple of new podcasts this year. One's called Archery Unfiltered with a guy named Wendell Souza. And the other is Archery Country. They've got five stores. And they did a fascinating one with John Dudley. And one of the things he wanted to do was... If you've got a store, what he wants is shops to have inventory. Yeah. And he wants shops that know what they're doing. And he's act- he, he, he was mo- talking about with them. If somebody wants to send him a recommendation for a shop, he'll go and walk in and see what they've got. Yeah. And see if they actually do know how to set a bow up, how to tune mm-hmm. a bow. And he will then say, knock on nation approved which I think yeah. for some of the small mom-and-pop shops would be amazing. You Again, know, it'll the give them a lot. Else. I, I know it sounds weird, but would it give them... We all know Dudley's a huge... He's a force of nature in the industry, isn't he? Would that raise their profile and help the little mom-and-pop stores out if well, you can say, you know what, John Dudley's visited me especially for new people coming in into the industry, coming into the sport. Uh-huh. If you don't know a good shop from a bad shop, but you can think, well, hang on, this guy's respected. And he said, this shop knows what they're doing. They carry stock, because that, that's his other thing, where people go to shops and they haven't got the stock. Isn't it Dougie? And the other half of off-centre that uh-huh. said there's a shop by them. You can go in looking for something. He only sells Hoyt, and he'll yeah. he'll sell you the most expensive Hoyt he's got. And once he's got you out the door, it's sayonara, motherfucker. Don't want to see you One again. You got a problem? Yeah. Fuck off. So what John Dudley would like to do, I understand that completely, and it's going like that cigar guy that I told you who limits yeah. limits who can sell his stuff by doing that and saying they're knock on certified. I know they're doing what they're doing, and they can sell my stuff because I'm going to make sure that they have inventory. It's not just his stuff, though. It's... Yeah. 
shops that will sell three or four brands and yeah. that won't just sell you the one that gives you the best margin for you. Yeah. The staff have to know how to fit you for a bow. Exactly. If, it, if a Hoyt fits you better, sell them a Hoyt. If a Matthews fits you better, sell them a Matthews. If one of his fits you better, sell them one of his. I think he, what he's trying to do is get a, gen, a level of service that you can say, right, I'd buy from these shops because Again, he's, they know he's what they're to doing. Control, he's trying to control who's going to have the reputation to sell his stuff and do the right thing. Yeah. And that's great. It'll be very hard for a lot of people to maintain that because they just can't good, get good qualified help. However, if you have a knock-on certification, I will tell you it will be the first time in ages that or ever at all that there's a certification that can be applied to a shop. Yeah. Because there's a difference between dealer authorized and dealer certified. Yes. So authorized just means you bought stuff from us, you can go to this place and order stuff, and they should know what they're doing. Hoyt used to have you go through a whole thing where you had to learn how to work on their bows. Yeah. I don't know if they still do that. Um, PSE had an archery school. I was going to say but- PSE had one as well where dealers went in and they taught them. I did it a couple of times. About I went just bows, for giggles. Yeah, I went over there and I did it for for giggles a couple of times, and um, I loved it because it was a shooter school and a and a tech school, all at the same time. And anybody can go, not just the dealers, but they taught you everything about their bows, including little stuff that most people didn't know about timing and stuff like that. Yeah, specific to their bows, which was very very important. I think that one of the first things that went when they changed. Um, they changed ownership was to my knowledge alexander kirilov who ran that program for the bow tech school and for the uh, shooter school is no longer doing them and ah. that was the thing with him and pete when he owned the thing he worked at a pse's factory that's where the school was um now if all that's gone there goes probably one of the only programs in the world you can go to and learn that there's other guys who do Botech schools and stuff like that few and far between very expensive to go and then the fact is you would go to one of these guys say I graduated from this school and if you showed that to somebody they'd be like who? (laughs) who certified you? you know what this has just made me think when you know when we were talking on the group chat the other night about bow development and I said Shane Chunning had said the new Matthews and Shane Chunning, I've watched so many of his videos, and he he deep dives every bow. He hasn't done a video in a long time, but no. yeah. And he said the new Matthews lift is the first okay. Matthews that's intrigued him in years, and mm-hmm. he could be tempted to buy one. Then Anthony said that the bow manufacturers seem to be following the car manufacturers in their launcher model. Several years of just small incremental changes that they could have done from year one yeah just to keep you buying and keeping it fresh every year then suddenly there has to be change. something new yeah, yeah that they got to put in there well i mean how long had matthews had the concentric come when did the hail on first launch what was it 2016 2017 yeah. so yeah, around 2016 years yeah. farther on mm-hmm. so they keep Should, they- that PSE thing was almost like he said he was following the car manufacturer's model the PSE bow school would be like 
what car manufacturers do with tech at main dealers where yeah. every year they have to go in to learn the new technology and they're taught the correct way to do things. Exactly. So there's not enough of that going on these days. Um, don't know where that's going to go. Don't know if it's ever going to happen again. Instead, the manufacturers are trying to stay on top of stuff and launch new things and all that. I mean, Elite's a perfect example. They haven't launched anything new up until this year. They had the they they had the verdict for like two years, Variations and then this on year the theme. they they came out with their new one. You know, their their new hunting bows, which yeah. they changed a lot of stuff on them, but they still haven't released their new target bow yet. And yeah. you know, one's coming because the verdict is still on their website, but the old the older versions they had on there are all gone. So you know something new is coming, but they're doing it right because they're not actually changing something until this particular model's had its run. Okay, this model's got everything different on it. Make it worthwhile for someone to buy because not everyone's going to buy a $1,600 bow every single year just because you change where one screw is. Yeah. I mean, no one really cares about that anymore. Well, wasn't it um, Greg Poole said how often on the bow junkie? Was it, was it bow junkie asked the question or was it somebody else asked the question? How often do you think they should change models? Yeah. And did, a lot of folks that. were saying that happily buy a new bow every two or three years. But for a lot yeah. of folks, and you've got the folks that have got the disposable income to go out and spunk on a new bow every year. We'd all I know people love like that. to be able to do that. I'd I love have a guy to be able who... to go and spunk a new bow every year. But the consensus was every two or three years, we would go and buy a new bow if we could see big enough changes. But when it's small incremental changes, and I've seen enough review videos where new bows have come out and they've said, is it worth the change? And the consensus has been from independent reviewers. If you haven't got one of these and want one of these, then the new bow's worth it. But if you've got last year's model, the difference really isn't worth the change. But I suppose the good thing for Matthews is they seem to have incredibly high resale values. They hold their value. They do. Because at the moment, they seem to be the brand to have. But mm-hmm. when suddenly Hoyt becomes a brand to have, or PSE becomes a brand to have, or Elite becomes the brand to have, then suddenly that resale value is going to fall, isn't it? You, you see it with car manufacturers, don't you? There's trends of who's the best manufacturer to have. Yeah. That's that's happening right now, um, and like I said, Matthews is staying up there by coming out with stuff that is very new and innovative. Like they changed their line, they came out with 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 the new new target bow. Yeah. But at the same time, they may not realize it, but they're pricing themselves out of the market for a lot of stuff they do. Yeah. Their stabilizers, you'd have to be very very well off to afford a set of their target stabilizers that they make. I don't give a shit if they're made out of carbon or gold. Spending six hundred, seven hundred, a thousand dollars on a thirty-inch long stabilizer, and they have to spend another five hundred dollars on the rear stabilizer, and then God only knows how much you have to spend on their special weight system. Thirty dollars an ounce. What the fuck? I mean, thirty dollars an ounce. I'm sorry. With my kids, don't shoot a lot of weight because I always thought that ridiculous amounts of weight is just stupid. You're just hiding a problem, and you actually go. It's a Stabilizers for anyone who doesn't know this, there's a point where the stabilizers work, and then you keep on adding a shitload of weight, and it's an endless loop, and all of a sudden, you may quell something for a little bit, but then you get tired later on, and it comes back in a circle, and then 
it gets to the same shit where it's shaking around and all that. Where if you just started out with a little bit of weight and you shoot shoot with just that little bit of weight, it's not hiding anything anymore and you're fine. Well, what, That's the way stabilizers work. Wasn't it Stephen so, Hans that said, Stephen Hans, and Archery Supply said, if you're using short rods, it's pointless yeah. buying mega expensive because the short ones don't flex anyway. Yep. So you can get away with a cheap one. And if you're buying a long rod, if you're only running two or you know, two, three, four ounces out front, you're not yep. going to get the flex anyway. It's yep. if you if you're doing a Stefan Hansen and running a pound and a half out front, then you have fucked. Some some of these guys go are for, go for the more expensive like, one. Mike if you're not running like a lot if you ever shot keep it cheap. If Mike Slosser ever shot Matthews, I think he'd have four thousand dollars in weights on his bow. <laughs> I mean, fucking two and a half pounds in the back, a pound and a half in the front. Add that shit up. I mean, honestly, come on. So there's a point of diminishing returns, and that fucking return diminished the minute that you put it on there. But it's it's like you come out with new stuff, but you make it so prohibitive in price that this amount of people can afford it and everybody else can't. You you do wonder, are they pricing themselves? And this, again, comes back to... If, if you're a new archer, you've either got to go second-hand where you've got night zero warranty. I think, apart from Elite, I don't know if they still do it, Elite's warranty ran with the bow, not the first owner, didn't it? As I far as I know, Brand- it only runs with the bow. It runs with the owner now. It, so I know Brandon but- McDonald looked at this when he did his first, when he bought five bows to see which yeah. was best. And he said there was at the time there was only Elite that said the warranty goes with the bow, not the owner everybody else because he was raffling these bows off mm-hmm. and he said here's a bow it's had like 10 arrows maybe 100 arrows through it but you get no warranty with it because it goes with the owner yeah and there was only elite at the time did it like I say unless you want second hand with no warranty you go and buy Chinese it's got a 12 month warranty on it and then you Again, well, you gateway into it. the American products once you know, because like you said, kids are so notorious. Bloody hell, I'm fickle, I'm an adult. Well, apparently <laughs> I'm an adult. <laughs> you have to start acting like one. Oh, my God. But even Pump station, even baby, PS- pump station. PSC <laughs> started cracking down the warranty thing because you would have people who, like, all of a sudden were registering a bow that was bought three years ago. Yeah. Because what people would do is, oh, yeah, you would see on every Archery Talk ad, unregistered unregistered no one would do the registration whoever bought it after that would register if there was a problem but PSC started catching that they're like uh, when you buy a new bow now the store's got to register it for you because we want any of this bullshit I going say on when I, when I worked in an archery store in 2015 the shop registered the bows they sold yeah so shop that's the way to them. crack down on that sort of thing for people selling unregistered bows it is what it is but that's something why the manufacturers like I don't care who had it it doesn't doesn't flow from one person because you don't know what the person did to yeah. it whatever it's you don't want a bow registered two weeks ago that's been out for three years and yeah. suddenly it has a limb failure really it's got three years worth of fucking limb failures on it is what it is <laughs> but it but you know going to what's going on this year this year there was a big spike in activity because there was a potential that compound could wind up in the Olympics yes and it that got shot that. down like you have no idea yeah so they finally decided, no, we're not going to do it. And we all know why they're doing that, because bottom line is you'd have to make the game different than what they currently have for 50 meter and 70 meter or whatever it is yeah. in, in recurve. 
And then if you did put somebody in there, this is just my take on it, but it happens to be what I think is really going on. Why the fuck would anyone watch somebody shoot 70 meter recurve? Okay. Which I would tell you takes a lot more skill than anyone realizes. Yeah. When, and the guy is just getting into the size of a grapefruit like this to get a 10. When the compound guy is going to come out there and be shooting bullets at 50 meters that are touching each other, okay, you'd have to make the game so difficult that a compound technology would be negated so it would even out the game. Yeah. So they were going to go only indoor. But then the Olympic Committee said, as a debut sport in the U.S. for for their Olympics, I think in 2028, they said, uh, no, we're not going to do that. We can give it to some other sport. Tell me there wasn't pressure saying, we don't want to kill recurve in the Olympics, so let's not do this. Well, Whatever I, I happened. Once heard the difference described as recurves try to hit compounds, try not to miss. Yes, that is one way of looking at it. I will tell you that it takes a lot more to build a recurve shooter than it does to build a compound Ooh, shooter. Lord, yeah. Um, it just is what it is. And worldwide, recurve is the deal. In the U.S., compound is the deal here. Yeah. And people don't understand that. So when they were pushing for compound, they got to understand that worldwide, all the other countries are raising teams that are in the compound um, World Cup are kicking Americans' asses sometimes now. I mean, you have India even winning a lot of the World Cups and stuff. They're doing phenomenally but, well. Yeah. And they're doing that. But again, they're not getting the popularity behind it. They're not even saying, oh, yeah, you know, when somebody wanted with, I think it was a PSEBO and somebody in India or something like that, I think. But they didn't make a big deal about her shooting PSC. Like, PSC didn't say shit about it. Yeah. Like, either they're not sponsored, they didn't know, whatever it is. So in other countries, they don't push it so much. So imagine trying to get the worldwide focus on the Olympics for compound when it only matters to this much of the world in the US and the rest of the world doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You like, know what? I'm getting things popping up in my head as we're talking that yeah. I've got to mention World Archer is one of them. Well, before I forget about it, have you seen the new Athens bows? Yes, I have. They're, they're, Small they're manufacturer with a lot of technology. They're following Bowtech and Elite, aren't they, in making mm-hmm. their bows tunable without yeah. a press. But they've patented their method, so they've obviously not just ripped off Bowtech or Elite. Yeah. But are we going to see more manufacturers doing this? Because we've got the likes of Jeremy the Archery Shack pushing for people to be able to tune their own bows. You've got MFJJ. He desperately wants people to be able to tune their own bows. And you'll see that OMP and all these other companies are making stuff geared towards the end user and not a shop anymore. Yeah. So they're making bow presses that work for the end user. They're making stuff affordable for the end user. Are we going to see All more that, manufacturers make bows more tunable for the home that's user? That's what they want. So there, there's another, there's another company. Um, I believe it's what the hell is it? I mean, I think it's Viper or something like that. I forget the name. Oh, V. What the hell is the name of that bow? Hold on a second. Let me look it up. It is. Let's see. He's been around for a couple of years. Uh, let's see what the company name is. The we're talking okay. compounds. Yes. Um, let's see if I can find it. His name ex- escapes me. So 
It's not. It's not a snake. It's everything is cobra. Not APA. APA. That's the company out of Canada. God, yeah, they, so they've they, been in the nineteen hundred pound compounds for ages. Have the king cobras, haven't they? Obscenely so now, heavy. He he just came out with a new bow, okay, which has its tuning, and you can act. He made it so that you can actually change the strings and the cables without a press. I remember when I first went into an archery worked in a, when I worked in an archery shop. There was an old PSE system. It only worked on certain PSE bows. And they were uh-huh. two just dowels that you yep. threw an inch on the string, dropped the dowels into the cams, yep. and you could work like that. Yep. Like Matthew, That's exactly what APA just system. did. APA just did that, and the pin is built into the bow. You can secure it in the bow, and it comes out of the bow. You unlock it, whatever. And in the field, you can actually stick it in a cam in a special slot that's been machined for it and test it so it wouldn't blow the cam up like idiots who put a, a screwdriver in the cam. Oh, God, drives archery, drives archery back in the day They disappeared YouTube. From, YouTube and the, from YouTube, and the only thing I can say is, thank God, yeah. whatever. Take so your Allen throw it through, throw it through your cam. The the PSEs were similar, weren't they? They had a specific hole machined in the cam for this yeah. metal dowel to go in, and we'd got we'd got these kits on the back wall at the archery shop I worked in. PSE yeah. kits, just a, a round metal thing, but it was it was cam specific. Yeah, there so were only APA. certain cams you could do it with. He just did a video maybe a week or two ago where he announced a new bow, and it has it built in. Um, and you put it right in there, and then you can change the cables, you can change the string, whatever you want to change, you can change them all one at a time, and it's crazy easy, and you can do it in the middle of the field. Okay? Yeah. That and his tuning that he's got this thing go back and forth, same kind of similar on on the idea for what, what they have for um for the elite sort of thing. He's got all that built into the bow. It's a very small company. Of course, yeah. he's also into hundred-pound pole bows and stuff like that. He's but he one makes that, a 60, he, he machines into the riser of broadhead wrench, doesn't he? And he's got that broadhead wrench, the tree hook built, the they tree look, hook, which is the co- the cobra teeth. Yeah, it's the tree hook you can hang it on. They a tree. look like a reverse Hoyt, don't they? Where the Hoyt yes, tech riser's got the bridge on the back of the riser. APAs have them on the front. Yep. So that's new stuff that came out where he made it. It just proves that this year everyone's going towards. Forget about having to go back to a shop. Yeah. I'm making it so you can work on it on your own. With that and a little bit of education, you should be able to do everything. Would I do that with a 100-pound bow? <laughs> I'd be afraid of it. Oh, yeah. But he does make a 100-pound safari boat. Yeah. So did Matthew. Um, but this guy is always trying to go beyond for everything. And he's a very small company. But if I was looking for something that I never had to use a boat press on, that'd be the boat that I get. It's just that he makes his bows a little bit too short for my taste yeah. or whatever. I don't like that. And I don't necessarily need a 100-pound draw weight. I don't need that either. Um, trying to find an arrow that works with that, I could just see somebody throwing in a 400-spine arrow to a 100-pound draw weight and just seeing the boom that happens afterwards. But it's it's cool, and it's new, and it's they're gearing everything towards the end user, which I've brings me to the next thing, which you alerted me archery. to. Yeah, you... I knew you're always going to need pro shops for the folks that don't know what they're doing. Watch a certain lady on YouTube and blow the bows up. Don't get me started. I thought we were going to get through this without mentioning (laughs) that person. And I use the word loosely. Um, Anyway, uh, but you you made note of a fact that they're allowing gambling 
in archery now. Well, World Archery, there were two announcements. They're making... They've always live-streamed their stuff. You can watch it on YouTube. Yep. They're now making it pay-per-view. And they're hooking up with... I had a quick look at this company they're hooking up. I can't remember the name now. I'd have to have a quick look. But these are like a gambling security firm that provide odds. Mm -hmm. So they're now hooking up with a gambling firm. This can't be good. Let's look at that for a second, okay? Number one, putting it behind pay-per-view... Excuse my French, but who gives a shit? Nobody yeah. sits up in the middle, in the middle of the night watching. For that. No one cares. Okay, most of us who watch that watched on YouTube, and they're never the same day, and they're never live. So I don't care about that. The gambling thing is interesting and scary all at the same time. Sandbagging. If you're that desperate, if you're that desperate to popularize a sport that you're going to open it to gambling, you've got to be out of your mind. Yeah, because. It's going to create a lot of problems. Socially, if somebody puts money on somebody and something, you know, they they sucked or they lost, and someone could be one person in the world lost a ton of money. Not saying that people are going to start to bet a lot of money, but it could happen. Archers are not celebrities like NFL athletes. Okay. They're regular people. Oh God, we've Levi seen it in Morgan South America where footballers have been killed for missing a goal. Yeah. So now cart- think about this. By gambling cartels. Le- guys like Levi Morgan, very famous and all that, but still an ordinary guy that lives yeah. in Pennsylvania. Okay? Somebody loses $50,000. Are you going to tell me that, I, that he wouldn't feel threatened by that, knowing that people are gambling on him and possibly losing money? because he didn't win an event or yeah. something like that. I mean, at the moment, it's, it's only World Archery, but if it takes off with World Archery, I can see it's... Well, Anthony said it's going to spread like wildfire amongst the other well, exactly. archery organisations, isn't it? I Imagine mean, it's I, spreading I've, to all the American ones. That's a problem, but even but so... there's going to be pressure on as well. You, Organised crime is well known for being involved in gambling. Are but you look at it from this point of view. To people being pressured to... Oops, that's li- I had a bad shot. <laughs> well, look, look at this. On this side of it, there were American archers that shoot World Cup. They're involved in world archery. Yeah. Okay. What's to say that now all of a sudden you're not going to get people wanting to do this anymore, meaning the best people in the world, because there's a threat that something can go terribly wrong. Yeah. They don't, they don't perform the way that they usually do, and they're looked at as either sandbagging, like you said, like they put a wager on themselves to lose so they could win money. Yeah. Which I'm telling you is a thing that happens in all sports. I don't care what anyone yes. says. Or two, even worse, they fall into the same category as these footballers, as you said, where now I'm representing my country, yes, but never before has my life been in danger, not from some terrorist because I'm wearing an American flag, but because some some big time gambler in Europe or the Middle East or something like that lost money and now wants to take me out. But we've also got the problem. What about countries and cultures where gambling isn't allowed, be it for social, religious reasons or religious reasons? Well, that's an easy way to get... How does that then affect archers from those countries? Are they going to be allowed to shoot because gambling's involved? Well, 
that's going to be an easy way to get your ass kicked out of a country if yeah. they don't allow gambling. But the organization is supporting, you know, and suborning, suborning gambling in your country all of a sudden, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Well, you're not allowed to gamble while we're shooting in India. Okay, but guys are gambling in, are gambling the, the, on you the gambling in company from is your sponsor. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the sponsor's that, then going to say, well, yeah, you know, we've given you X number of millions of dollars in sponsorship. We want that money, some of that money back. Or you are going to put our banners up there. You are going to promote us there. Do we really want to see right now going from jerseys that have, you know, the, the, the bow manufacturer, and then you'll have Biter, and you'll have all the other stuff on there, which is what everybody does now. And all of a sudden, you want to see Anheuser-Busch. You want to see all these other companies I, I, on I there. I honestly think Archery needs outside sponsorship. I mean, one of the things with increasing the number of classes and things like ASA, where they've got a, where they, the manufacturers are providing contingencies, the manufacturers have a finite amount of money to invest. So you add a new class where they've got to pay contingencies. Either yeah. the paying the other classes has to reduce or they've got to find more money and they're not going to take a hit like that so prices are going to go up and yep. consumers are then going to moan that well hang on we're having to pay more money well that's and great, I, I, great I think pool. it's a massive responsibility on the manufacturers to keep expecting them to find more and more money we need well, great pool, sponsors Greg Poole brought up a big point a couple of years ago he said listen here's the problem Years ago, and I remember this when I was a kid shooting, okay? Yeah. There was a pro division, and you had a limited number of pros who were getting even the free bows from the manufacturer. Yeah. You could be a pro, still have to buy your own stuff, okay? Then we went from that to now there are a lot more pros shooting as sponsored shooters getting this stuff for free, okay? And then that degraded into now you're paying pros where this is the only thing they do. Yeah. And everybody wants to do the same thing. Okay, I get it. They're that good. They just want to only do this. They're getting paid. Fine. That exists in other countries. Other countries pay and support their shooters over there. So that's all they do. Here, most shooters have a second job and they're still trying to, most on their own dime, travel. Yeah. But the problem you get into is this. Now, people expect that to trickle down through all the ranks. Yeah. So now every pro wants to get paid, okay? And then the amateurs want to start getting paid, too, if they're sponsored. And it's gotten to the point, and I shit you not, Greg Poole brought it up. I see it all the time where some of these parents of kids who are shooting in national tournaments because they're traveling from one place to the other, they're like, no, you got to give my kids free bows, and they got to get paid to shoot at your tournaments. What in the shit am I going to pay a 12-year-old to shoot? Over the- no, you can't do that. I think this well, is where people, a lot of people think pro staff means professional staff. It doesn't. It means promotional staff. I mean, There's professional staff and promotional staff. Yeah. There's and two then, different types. You, you look at the, you watch the ASAs, and the big names have factory staff. They don't yeah. have pro staff on their jersey. They have factory staff I mean, even a lot of the, the I, I first noticed that I was very ignorant to this before I listened to Bo Junkie and I thought factory staff meant that's all they do 
But no, even... Was it Cara Kelly qualified as a nurse while still travelling the country to shoot yeah. tournaments? You know, they're so going to school, they're working full-time, and they're still doing this. And these tournaments aren't cheap to enter, are they? Some oh, no, things. they are not. And when you've got to fly yourself all over the country as well. So I, I don't know how vacation works in the States. Over here, you're allowed... As a full-time worker, you're allowed 5.6 weeks paid holiday a year. Yeah. I think... I know it's a big thing in the States, isn't it, to get paid vacation, paid holiday, or can you can you work extra hours some weeks to take out furlough pay, is it? No, most places you can't do that. Um, most places have a set number of vacation days you have, and you have to use them sparingly, whatever yeah. it is. Um, what you'll find with a lot of people who shoot on the national tours they have their own businesses or whatever it is that they run and they can take their own days off because they got staff to run the business when they're not yeah. there. But like you said, with the factory staff thing, you may see Dan McCarthy with factory staff on there, Cara Kelly with factory staff on there. Yeah, That's all well and good. But when you go to one of these 3D tournaments, you'll see hundreds of people that say factory staff there. Wow. Because like with Matthews, yeah, the top shooters, they all wear the factory staff thing, but in their programs that they have, there's a ton of factory shooters. Really? It's just that they increase the numbers they have and they only pay the top level guys. Yeah. That's they only pay them. You've, you've Everybody got to else... be of a certain level before they can ju- and they they're gonna want a return on investment, aren't they? But I mean Yes, they do. They gotta see that this person's going to every shoot, talks you favorably about their products. X yes. amount of money. I, because I've, for some I've people, not... factory staff just means they're giving you a free bow every year. Yeah. Okay, but if that free boat costs Matthews a thousand dollars to manufacture, you better be bringing them back value of four or five times that. Yeah, for them if they to give you, give you a boat, that first you've place. got a self. But this has got to be hard to track. I mean, I like what some of the shops are doing. I love watching Tech Scrabner videos. He's sponsored by Three Rivers Archery. Yeah, and they give them a discount code to use on his YouTube videos, so they can track who's generating what business for exactly. Them. And that seems like a really good idea because, I mean, I've said I would never, A, I'm nowhere near good enough to be a sponsored shooter. But you think if, if this podcast blows up and suddenly I'm getting stupid numbers of listens, I wouldn't want to be a sponsored shooter because I like being a potty mouth gobshite. I like to say <laughs> what I want about who I want. And I don't and want to that's... be beholden to a particular manufacturer or shop. I've got to say these are amazing if I get shit if I get you've seen tonight if I get really good service from somewhere I'll shout it from the rooftops but likewise if I get shitty service I'll call them out on it and if you're beholden to a shop or a manufacturer suddenly I think you're compromised if I see bow reviews or gear reviews from sponsored shooters I'm always, you know, well, is bullshit. it really that yeah. good or are they just saying it because they've got a free bow and they want to keep getting free shit off the map? Exactly. <laughs> Half of it's bullshit that they're saying anyway because they've been told that you have to say this. Yeah. But the way they do factory staff is you originally start with a grassroots program. You're a shop shooter. So yeah. you work for the shop what, or you shoot for the shop, whatever, and the shop gives you the bow on their cost or yeah. discounted, whatever. And then you're going to the shoots and you're helping out at the booth for that manufacturer, whether it's helping people with their bows because someone buys a Matthews bow, 
They need to, they are have, need help with tuning, whatever. And then those guys will help you over there do everything. If they see enough value in you doing that, then they may move you to factory staff. Factory staff means you're shooting good enough because you go into all the national events and all that stuff. Yeah. Again, every manufacturer does it a little different, but you, you're also free labor if you think about it like that. Because when yeah. they have major shoots, those guys are working the booth. They're doing everything over there. They're the face of the company spread out. So if one of those people that they have is bad-mouthing the company or is an asshole to deal with, they're going to be like, this is not someone we want on factory staff. And then if you're winning, 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 they may consider putting you on the the title doesn't change, but you're drawing a check from them for for wins and stuff like that yeah. on a regular basis. So they may pay for your tournament entry fees. It starts little and then goes bigger. Yeah. They, there's a level where they pay for your tournament entry fees. There's another level where they're going to pay for your tournament entry fees plus your travel. You know what I mean? They're not going to pay for a loser to go to 15 different locations yeah. across the country. That's a lot of money. Again, you can't make any of those unless they see a return on investment. If they don't see it, you're not going to get it. So everyone thinks that their kid, because their kid is going to, to national shoots and all that, deserves part of that money. I no, think this you don't. is why we're seeing more of. I mean, Chris B annoys me at times, but he makes amazing videos, and I can't help watching his videos. He does raise the profile of whatever he's promoting. He's a social media guy. That's what yeah. he is. Dan Statton, he works so hard at raising the profile and providing a positive image of Matthews. He goes out and he shoots monster elk with a Matthews bow. You know, it, it, it's what they want. Like I say that there has got to be a return on investment. They're not going to hand out bows willy-nilly. But even with that guy, how, how many people... How, even with that guy, how many people are going to go buy Matthews bow just because this guy is shooting that? Not as many as you may think. However, he makes Matthews appear in a good light. Yes. And what happens is when you go to a shop, that even though you're not buying it because of him, that may stick in the back of your head. You know, I saw this and it seemed like everything looks good on this. I never yeah. seen anything bad. Yeah, I want to get this. Or you yeah. can look at a Bowtech bow that you've never heard of before, like $1,500, $1,900. Don't know shit about this one. I don't know anybody who's shooting this and no one really makes a big deal, but everybody talks about this. Let me buy the $1,900 bow. Yeah. That's what they do and that's how they live on this stuff. Well, the guys but, that I bought this T-shirt from, and I've got to say, when I, when I bought this, when I've bought stuff from Stephanie at shooting schools, there's always a little yeah. note in there saying thank you for the support. When this yeah. turned up, there's a handwritten note from James on the back of the invoice saying, hey, Richard, thanks for the support. Hope you enjoy your T-shirt, James. Yeah. Things <laughs> like that make such a difference. But he's always shot Botex, James Visser has. Yeah. And I commented on the post when he came out that... Uh, Tim Gillingham and Carl Douglas had had their contract severed. Are we going to see the Bow Disciples? And lo and behold, they're now shooting. They seem to get more, but they've always been very positive mm -hmm. about Bowtech. So you can see yep. why. And they're one of the few people you will see on social media shooting Bowtech. I mean, Archery Hooligan ripped them apart in one of his moves. <laughs> You know you've made it when Archery Hooligan nails you. And people were saying, oh, God, who's this clown? Who's this joker? You know what? The guy's a, a really good shot. And he, yeah. pr he promotes Bowtech. He, he will, they'll be honest and say, oh, I don't like this. I don't like that. But also say, overall, 
this is a really good boat and he promotes them in a very positive light and he I think he's San Diego based yeah and the shop he uses the bow and arrow shop the guy there he's a beast of a guy the bloke that owns it but again very positive reinforcement of the image for Bowtech yep and you can see why I mean listening to Wendell Souza on Archery Unfiltered he's really funny he sits he's it, it, like Rogan he sits and smokes weed and podcasts I didn't realise how, how good he is he's as an amateur he won Reading uh-huh. but he's he said are we going if Botec are making $300,000 available in contingency yeah for amateurs are we suddenly going to start seeing sandbagging where people are going to want to they're not going to want to move up to the pro class they want they're going to want to shoot down to an amateur class just well that's what happens to get into in, that money in 3D okay this is the only one it happens in by the way in 3D you shoot your way out of your class yeah okay so you win and you can you take a first uh, podium spot maybe two times in a row it's called winning out of your class they automatically put you into the next class up what a brilliant idea nothing stops you from going to the highest class you know just starting out in the highest class right but, but they, they they make you start they they guarantee that you're not going to win it you're not going to dominate one particular class in the lower ends yeah. forever because once you win out you're going to the next one buddy where you're starting at the dirt and then you're going to work your way up and win out of that so they look at a gradual improvement of somebody if they're not just going to go directly for pro or whatever yeah I think that's a really good idea because it, it, it'll help stop the sandbagging. In the NFAA, for pro, like I'm a pro in the NFAA, you have, back in the day, the way it was, another pro had to nominate you to become a pro. Yeah. And they would have to guide you for a while. And that's the way I did it. Okay? Now they got rid of that. And now what it is, you have to shoot within the top 5% of the winning scores at nationals or whatever at a national event and then you can submit your application for a pro card and they'll give you a pro card yeah. so they don't want just anybody saying I'm a pro because they got a card that says they're a pro whatever it is that's what they're trying to keep out of but what you say about now if they're going to do this thing with gambling and the whole bit it will get people sandbagging to never go into the pro class because if there's gambling and you're gambling on amateurs which I would never allow gambling on amateurs because it's stupid you're going to see that you're going to see, oh, yeah, this guy's the favorite to win, whatever. He's the best amateur out there. And then all of a sudden, he just tanks the shit out of it. Did that really happen? Or did he do it on purpose did he have because a he bet against or, himself? Yeah. And that's just going to put a black mark on the industry. And the thing is, they didn't allow gambling in the NFL or professional sports here in the country up until the last couple of years. Has that done good or bad? hard to say but gambling was always a bookie thing where you had to go to somebody illegally and place a bet now you want to bring that to archery are you going to bring some popularity probably people who never have heard of it before are going to start wagering on it because it's something new to bet on but how much good is that going to do and how long is it going to be before it starts turning into something bad and it could turn into something bad very easily because we're not as heavily regulated as every other sport Yeah, we're just not so that's going to be a bad thing I don't know if World Archery is going to get away with doing that. If they're saying that that's what they're actually going to do and they've actually passed it, then look out because 2024 is going to be strange. Yeah. But 
I don't know how that's going to go. I mean, we we do. I think we do need for it to grow. We've got to do something to make it exciting to watch to grow it to the likes of. I mean, fuck me. I think golf's boring as fuck to watch. But to well, grow it like that, you are going to need. You've got to make it exciting to watch, and you're going to need outside sponsors. But the only one I've seen really make an effort with outside sponsors was the year John Dudley went to PSE. Brian Quacker, Pigman, went to PSE as well. He but brought he, Monster over. Monster, a big outside brand, and they're not afraid to pitch in. My lad used to play in a band. They were sponsored by Monster. I mean, the only thing they used to get was every month the van would pull up and drop them off a six-foot-high pile of slabs of Monster. God, my lad was eating, was eating, was drinking six or seven cans a day. He got to a point where he got a pre-ulcer. He went oh, pescatarian and he eating fish for several years because... He couldn't eat meat. It would trigger off his stomach. Well, that was a give-and-take sort of thing because Monster is an energy drink, and all of a sudden they start sponsoring some archery stuff or tried to get into it, but there's enough people who know that energy drinks are not good for you. Yeah. And a lot of the folks that are into archery now because of COVID are this new wave generation who are, like, health conscious and shit like that. I hate to say it. So do you really think that they want somebody who sponsors a sponsor who sells basically poison, according to what these people call it, yeah. involved in it? If you had just gotten Coca-Cola, which owns Monster, I believe, if you had just gotten Coca-Cola or some other company to sponsor it, it's a big thing. But they went yeah. for the lower end, trying to make it to the bigger end, but they kind of got bitten in the ass because now all of a sudden they didn't like what came with it. The well, only, the that's only what's going to happen. to book that trend is Red Bull, isn't it? But they yeah. are associated with extreme sports yes you know, they're, they're mountain biking their cliff the diving anyway. their air racing yeah. even their soapbox to hobbies are freaking yeah. hilarious I mean for years there were little cars running around here with a gigantic Red Bull can across the across the back of the car because they were actually giving those away and I would see them every day I still yeah. see a few of them sometimes but last thing I'll bring up because I gotta go because I gotta go to my appointment I was gonna say you've got is, your appointment coming up haven't you and we, we've been on this thing for almost three hours wow but here's here's the here's the last thing when it comes to sponsorships and stuff like that this is why I've lost faith that the industry will not ever hook on to anything big like that when P- Pete Shepley sold PSE I think our last great avenue to get legitimate sponsors like big companies like Coca-Cola, Pepsi and all that involved in archery went with him. Yeah. Because Pete, a lot of people don't know this and I knew him for a long time and knew about him, met him, nicest man, most down-to-earth person you could ever meet. The fact that he is no longer involved in archery because he sold off PSE, I don't know if he's got anything to do with the company anymore or whatever it is, to me was the biggest loss and people don't even realize it. But Pete was also into uh, bull roping and stuff like that, yeah. cattle roping. It's a the PBR is a gigantic sport here in the U.S. Ten times bigger than archery will ever be. Okay, their tournaments for roping bulls involve ten million, twenty million dollars as first prizes. Okay, when we had Vegas, always it would be the immediate week before was a professional bull roping competition in the same hotel where they were having our Vegas championships. Yeah. And Pete was like, 
we got to try to get those same kind of excitement and sponsorships over here because a lot of people shoot bows. Don't get me wrong. Even fewer people are involved in calf roping and, and cow roping and stuff like yeah. that. But it's 10 times bigger and brings all this money. Why can't we do that? And it's the way that the industry is run and stuff like that. He's like, and people, the companies don't want to be open to doing things. And he tried to change that for years. He's like, why in the hell should a top prize at a bull roping competition be $5 million, which is watched by so few people compared to what we do, which is watched by even fewer, but they get $5 million and all kinds of crazy sponsorships for one tournament when all their places they have bull roping here in Madison Square Garden okay and to then be a we bull rope, you've got to have kahunas the size of coconuts it's a life or death bloody sport that's why it's so exciting stumped. yeah there's why? excitement it gets people on the edge of the seats exactly and so who the apart thing from to archers that, gets excited about archery well they've been trying to do something like that and they started it out and it's still going strong and the problem is everything arch-related has got to be tied into competition, and people yeah. don't want to hear that shit because when they have a TAC event, which is the total archery challenge yeah. over here, you'll get 10,000 people going to one of these. They're running 10 events next year. It's not that long yeah. ago. They started they keep on adding in Utah. Now it's 10 yeah. events, and last year they had to put a second one on in Utah because the first one sold out in an hour. They sell out in minutes. Lifestyle events. And you get all these people going to these things, okay? They're paying more than they pay entry fee to go into a tournament, yeah. okay? They have fun. But they're not just they're, shooting 40 targets. They're shooting at exactly. least targets over the three days. They have days. all these different courses. They have all these different things they can go to. They're having fun. There's no competition anxiety on them or no. anything like that. You can compete with your friends if you want to. But the same again, you've got these 100-and-odd-yard shots, but if you're not confident, you can walk down to 10 yards and shoot if you want. Exactly. You get your friends taking the piss out of you. Oh, you can only shoot at 10 So yards, the industry but. is stuck on this thing where they think that the industry should only be behind competition and yeah. not events like this. Tack well, are the fastest-growing events in the industry. Look at all the people doing Lifestyle that. Lifestyle events, Northwest Mountain Challenge, same kind of thing. So for Tack, you've got... Um, all these different supplement companies, okay? Yeah. They, you know, they all support TAC events. Yeah. They have all that there. Their banners are everywhere. The next thing that'll happen is bigger companies are going to start, you know, sponsoring events. Yes. You might get a beer company, uh, a soda company, whatever, sponsoring these things. That's not very far off. Oh, Christ, you might get side-by-side -side companies, Polaris, all the likes, because they use their vehicles. They already got that. So you see Polaris at a lot of different events. So they have all that, but the industry is hesitating to put passion and sponsoring behind events like that, which was started by two guys. Yeah. They're like, yeah, no, this is not for us. We're all about this competition. Okay. Take, they, they, fo they they're very focus centric on win prize money and this and that. All right, fine. How many of the people out there actually compete and have one-tenth of a millionth of a chance of winning that prize money in Vegas? Yeah. Less than 20, okay? Because it's always the same people winning the same competitions every fucking place. Yeah. But when you go to attack, if the company's got behind that, 
and opened it up more towards that sort of thing, all of a sudden you get all these other companies You've got investing. You've so more in exposure tack because target competitions, you get target archers, tack, you're suddenly opening it up to the entire hunting community. You got Even a bow, you go to attack. Just want to go and have a weekend of shits and giggles. You're opening up this massive, massive audience to these lifestyle events, and it does need to. I think, yeah, lifestyle events are going to be the way forward. Tax growing so much faster than ASA, and tax brings together hunters, target shooters, and traditional shooters. Yeah. Okay. They all go. Tell me you can go to one national championship that's a competition and see traditional shooters over there. Well, haven't in they mass. just dropped the trad class? I don't know. It was it archery. It probably did. Archery it wouldn't surprise Hoogan. me. It wouldn't surprise me if they did because, you know, just like the crossbow class, why are you going to put up a whole class if you have three people competing? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It's about numbers because at the end of the day, ASA is a business. Yep. It's when Bojan Greg Poole talked to Paige Pierce about why women's known and people are bumping the gums, that's where the numbers were. She dropped all these numbers mm-hmm. that known classes, it's not a yardage judging competition anymore, it's an archery competition with yep. known distance, and that's what people want to shoot. All the ASA have done is catered to what public demand was. That's what a business That's why the do. unknown is disappearing. And the and the known is is uh, much more popular. But it's Although more people you have into unknown, you have unknown and known still. Unknown still has a lot of people in it. Yeah. But what everyone sees as the best angle for them to get in is known. They want to get into known. It's a fixed thing, and it turns into a don't miss competition instead of a hope it's, to hit competition. Well, how many of the women that shoot women's known pro would have gone into it? Shoot. I mean, Paige knows how to judge distance. But how many of those other women now involved that have never had to judge yardage because they've come from a target background, none of them would have been involved in it. Paige has just bought a shit ton more archers in and expanded the ASA. Yeah. And to be honest, I think watching the AS- watching ASA shoots, I know it's a bit slower to watch and target archer, a bit sexier. Well... What you see is the finals of ASAs. You never yeah. actually see the ASAs. Not unless so somebody's when you go done to a video of it or competition yeah. archer media do on the range with where they have a walk around and meet folks. Yeah, because when, when they – and I've shot in the ASA. I've shot in the IBO, okay? And everyone thinks – and I've done it since I was a kid, but I don't do it anymore because I just don't have the time. And personally, I never enjoyed it. But – Everyone thinks that what they're seeing in the finals is what the ASA is. It is not. No. When you're shooting ASA, you have the course laid out in the woods. Yeah. You are going over there, and you are shooting animals that are hidden by brush. You're shooting weird angles. You're shooting all that. And then once everything is done, they got the scores, then they go to the finals just shot on a level open field, and that's it. The closest they have to something where it's just like the finals for the entire Entire competition was, and I think it's dead now, was the OPA shoot, which was the Organization of Professional yeah, Archers. That was one Levi Morgan started, wasn't it? Yeah, and they had that, and basically it was an ASA field shoot exactly the same way. Haven't you they know, linked up with IBO now? And is it I don't the, know what they did. I think did it was Mondelac. Was it Mondelac they had? Mondelac, yeah. A, and a that. Thing there. 
I don't know whatever happened to it, if the OPA is still going on or what the hell they did, but you don't hear about it anymore. No. So I don't know if they're still alive or not, but that was the closest thing. And then people would go to those things in mass the same way, like, you know, they didn't have as many as attack, but they had a lot of people going to them because the first year was by invitation only. Yeah. You could be invited as a pro and go, and then they opened it up to amateur classes, but amateur classes wants to get paid and all the other sort of thing. But then people started saying, shit, it's a competition. I don't like this. Yeah. I don't want to do this shit. So it kind of died out. Um, You got to keep it interesting. They didn't. Yeah. So I don't know if they're even still around anymore. But I've heard like you said, from it. Paige has brought a lot of people into it because they, and that's why Botech kept her. I will yeah. tell you right now, because she's a great representative for them. She talks to everybody. She's not arrogant. She'll get you on social media and talk to you there. She's not afraid to go off on social media, media either if you want to be an asshole yeah. to her. But what you giving brings, him was the same, wasn't he? He talked to anybody and help anybody. He still talks to anybody. Yeah. The problem with Tim is once you get him started, you can't shut him off. <laughs> <laughs> so, but Paige will bring all these women into the sport because they see a prominent woman now doing this, yeah. and she's making it so that like you can do this too, and women want to get involved. Yeah. I think a lot of women are involved with that, not because of the fucking Hunger Games, which I keep on hearing. Oh, whenever they have a Hunger Games movie, that's why we have all archery that blowing just gets up. Kids in- interested. It, it gets people kids, interested they? as a as a temporary thing, and then they drop it six months later because they're not interested in it anymore. Yeah. But she gets a lot of people into it. So Botech did what they want to do, and they cut everybody else, and they left her there because she's the spokesperson. She is yeah. the one that they want there. She has such a massive social media presence, and she, she'll be on all the forums. Somebody comments and tags her on Instagram or Facebook, and she'll get on there. I mean, she When she spoke to Greg Paul, she said, sometimes I can't because yeah. I'm just so busy. But she does her level best to respond to everybody. And if you're being a dick, she'll tell you you're being a dick. Fair play <laughs> now, to her. She's, she's such the a only good ambassador like for our sport. You have one girl in the UK right now who's got as much talent as as, as Paige does. Ella okay? Gibson. Ella Gibson. But she's not the kind of spokesperson. Now she's shooting for Darton. Maybe she'll change her ways and she'll be more yeah. outspoken. But she's very quiet. She's not that kind of personality that's for that. But she's great. She's awesome. She's talented as hell. Oh, Lord, yeah. Is she the same marketing machine that Paige is? No. She is not. Paige so understands maybe, what the yeah. sport needs, though, doesn't she? And she, she's, she's been not afraid she to was put herself out there. She grew up in it. She's been yeah. doing it. And she's, you know, I think she started the same age I did, maybe four or five. Who knows? But she grew up in it. Both her parents did it and all that. So she's the perfect one to do it. Trying to find somebody else like that, she's one in a million. You're not going to find too many no. people like that. She's but, the most incredible ambassador for the sport because she's approachable to everybody. She doesn't think I'm the I'm this good. I don't have to talk to Billy Joe, Jim Bob, <laughs> and she'll she'll talk to anybody and help anybody as much as she can. She has finite time, but fair yep. play to her. She does so much and involves oh, yeah. herself so much with everybody she can in the sport that she is an absolute. She's you can't describe her as anything but a huge asset. For she is. She absolutely is. Um, so 
yeah, this year is going to see a lot of changes. Let's see what happens. The gambling thing is scary, and I just want to yeah. see what the hell they really do with that. Um, but a lot of stuff has changed this year. You know, in the, in 2023, they saw a lot of changes. They saw companies do their usual where they just change stuff up, but some maybe not for the better. They they did a whole bunch of stuff. Now we got to see what happens in 24, if it actually gets any better or if it actually goes more downhill from where it is yeah. now. I don't know. I'm looking forward to see what happens. Um, every day that you get to to live and see something different, you should be, you know, very thankful for oh, yes. anyway. Um, but I don't know what's going to come. I honestly don't. I don't know how far it's going to go, how crazy it's going to get. Right. But we'll just have to see. Before you um, go, yeah, can we get a final 2023? Don't be that guy. There's a subject I want you to broach. I oh, covered boy. it on the last podcast, and uh-huh. I was talking to Rob. I went. I had about five hours with Rob from off the air shelf last night, catching up. We just sat there talking, and the subject got broached again about division within archery as a whole, the oh, them boy. and us. Uh huh. Yeah, you, you know something. I was trying to keep this. PG thirteen the entire way, which I managed to do that. Come on, but you want to go to an NT NC seventeen rating? Okay, my, fine. This is so, the cleanest I've been on my podcast in God knows. Same with long. me, and 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 I'm not going to go too crazy with it, but I will say the following. So, here's my whole take on this. We are a small community to begin with. Okay. And we have enough problems with outsiders trying to shut us down. In the United States right now, they're trying to control everything you fucking do. I mean, everything. They're trying to control if you smoke. They're trying to try this, that, the other thing. Everything. Okay? With all those problems, are you really going to tell me that you have to have people with their heads so far up their ass that they want to infight between each other because of what type of equipment they shoot for christ's sakes that is such bullshit seriously i mean you have trad shooters who hate compounders because you guys are making it too easy we're doing it the hard way fuck off we do it just as hard half of the guys who shoot compound can't shoot with a shit anyway so there ain't no no bigger fucking uh you know situation better situation than a trad shooter is Actually, if you ask me and you really want me to go that way, I love trad shooters because they're some decent and humble people. However, like everything else, they shouldn't be that fucking guy who talks like that. You know why? Because if you ever met some fucking trad shooters, right, they've got their head stuck so far up their ass, it's peeping out somebody else's fucking mouth. It's fucking terrible. Those guys are like, well, you should only be shooting trad equipment because this is the way it was always meant to be. Okay, great, asshole. That's wonderful for you. You want to be that stuck up and arrogant? You want to go there with me? Then I'll bring this up to you too. Guess what? I would rather have somebody shooting a compound that when they go hunting can get within an area this big on a deer at 10 or 15 yards away and kill it humanely instead of somebody who's going to go with a trad bow that they haven't practiced long enough, haven't been taught the right way, don't know what the fuck they are doing, going to go into the fucking woods and into the woods and shoot something in the fucking face. I mean, seriously, what the fuck? If you're a trad shooter and the the best thing that can happen is because you don't know what you're doing, you don't have a chance of hell in, in shooting something, and you're going to miss, I'm good with that. But the fact is, 
trad shooters bring a lot of people into the sport who shouldn't be here and go out there and shoot stuff in the face. Why? Because they don't want to take the time to practice. This does not label all trad shooters as bad people. 95% of them are really good and open. But there's that little 5% of the fucking people that you should not be who are assholes. Likewise, there's a larger percentage of compounders who are also assholes who are brand bashers. They're the ones who are like, if you're not shooting this brand, you are an asshole, my friend. To which I say, fuck off! Because I can beat you with a $300 bow and you're standing there with that $5,000 rig. It's about as good as an ass scratcher when I'm done with you because you can't fucking shoot for your life. This fucking infighting is terrible. And don't let me bring the crossbow people into this because the crossbow people who basically are shooting a gun with a bow on it, it's fine. I don't care. Is it archery? Depends on your definition. To a fucking trad shooter, a crossbow is sacrilege. However, they've been shooting crossbows since the middle fucking ages. So guess what? It's more traditional than your fucking compound. So they all do that. And, and, I have to go there, but they shouldn't be the guy who picks on the fucking crossbow guy unless you can hit every fucking thing you're aiming at without any kind of misses. Because guess what? A crossbow guy can't do that either. So if he can't hit anything that he's aiming at, fine. I don't care. But you're going to make fun of him for not being able to do that. But you're going to make fun of him also when he's fucking nailing one arrow into the other, into the other, into the other. Because it's easier. Is it really? Who knows? To some people, trad is easier. To other people, compound is easier. To other people, I don't want to learn either one of those. I just want to go shoot something. I'm going to use a fucking crossbow. And yet you've got to be that fucking guy who wants to start a fucking fight among all three and be an asshole. Look in the fucking mirror if this is the way you're acting and you're either one of these three fucking groups, you better realize something really quick. Everybody is out to get us. And this infighting between us, they're going to make it that much more easy to take us down. So don't be that guy who's a complete and total asshole just because you fucking want to be. And if that's not good enough for you, then fuck off. I don't care. There, I said that. Now you're happy. You know what? <laughs> I don't care what your race, religion, color, creed, sexuality is. We're all fucking archers. We all love shooting a bow in the flight of an arrow. Put the division I will aside. To one thing with that. There is a certain species of human being here in the States. Now, I'm sure they exist in other places, but what the fuck? I'm going to bring this up anyway. I, me, am not fond of a certain... Oh, how should I say this? Okay, I'm just going to put it out there. I'm not fond of yuppies and fucking hipsters, okay? <laughs> and when I go onto the fucking range and I see some asshole strolling down into the range wearing fucking elf ears, okay? <laughs> dressed like he's like out of something of the Lord of the Rings because he thinks that that's how you should be dressed when you're shooting a fucking longbow or some of the bullshit they bought on Amazon, I get a little bit of fucking offended because they're making fun of all other archers or they, even worse, think that this is what they should be fucking doing. You know what? So, well, I want to know. Like you say, I don't care about race, creed, or color. I do care if you're being an asshole and dressing like something out of the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. What are hipsters going to do when the beard fashion goes out of phase? Because it's a lot harder to grow a personality. <laughs> <laughs> they have no fucking personality. 
<laughs> and you know what I'm finding out about their kids? Because occasionally I get them here. Before I leave, I'm just going to say this. As a coach, I will teach anyone who's willing to willing to learn. Yeah. No problem. However, these hipster kids, the second generation of these fucking morons who are out there, are such fucking idiots that they have no souls, they have no sense of humor, and they will not be coached by me because every time I try to work with one of them, like, oh, no, you have to wipe down their bow with all this and make sure no germs comes in contact with Buffy because if it does, then we're going to have to sue you. How okay. Did we, we got an immune system by fucking eating worms and shoving rocks in our mouths and going outside and playing. <laughs> well, they can go and shove their great pawn in their mouth and a rock up their ass because I don't fucking care. Oh, I can't I stand it. those fucking people. But this is what our world is coming to. Soft, crazy, overly sensitive people. And I don't go for any of that bullshit. You heard me say it here on a podcast slash YouTube thing, whatever. I don't like that kind of shit. There's, lastly, the only thing I'm going to say is when I was growing up, there were there were prizes for first, second, and third. Okay? Yep. I teach my kids that. This participation trophy that they're giving out right now doesn't teach anybody to strive for anything. No. So I was so overjoyed to hear one of my kids when she was nine tell me, Coach, I just want to win. I said, well, you got second place. She goes, second place is just the first loser. First loser. I'm like, then you have the right mindset, and now she's a state champion. But if you just say, it's fine, do as good as you can, and we'll give you a trophy, no one's ever going to get better at doing anything because they have no motivation to do it. I'm going to get a prize because I participated. No. I Angel, my piece. <laughs> thank you so much. I'm going to have to wind it up because I'm about to piss myself. Two oh, bottles of cider is about to make its way out. <laughs> thank you so much for that. We've had three hours of it's been amazing. Folks, I'll put all the links down in the show notes. Uh, I think to play us out again, we're going to go, who put the pecker on the snowman again? Angel, thank you so much. So so you can find, like, we're talking about gambling here. Oh, here's a thumbnail. Because people will just, like, skip right to there. Folks, I hope you've enjoyed 2023. Remember, stay safe, shoot straight. Tell our folks. All right.